Life Radio. Stories at the intersection of music and life. Welcome to another episode of Music Life Radio. I am your host, Dan Sauter. Music Life Radio is a free podcast available on iTunes and your interwebs at musicliferadio.com and features interviews and stories about and related to music. Today we have a special treat. It is our 100th episode, and I get together with co-producers Eric Kaur and Josh Allman. We talk about the origins of the show, what it means to us to do these interviews. We touch base with a bunch of uh, old friends, people that have been on the podcast, and we hear some of their new music. It's a great show. This one runs very long. It's the longest one we've done yet. It's the uh, mother of all podcasts on Music Live Radio. So enjoy. Episode 100 on Music Life Radio. Welcome, everybody, to Music Life Radio. Today we have a special show. It's our 100th episode anniversary. I guess it's the anniversary. I don't know what the name for that is. 100th episodes. We've done I think it's our centennial. Centennial. Yep. I, that works for me. So I'm Dan Sauter. We have Eric Kaur. Hello, hello. Josh Allman here in the Howdy. studio. We are actually recording this in our band rehearsal space. We all share a space and play in various bands. There's about, what, 10 of us? It's extremely incestuous. Yes. Yeah, 10 and probably 30 bands. Something like that. At any given moment. And uh, anyway, this was a good uh, halfway point to meet and do this. Uh, I'm glad you guys could be a part of this. I'm really excited. So... I started this show back in uh, April 2009 after listening to some other podcasts. I think Mark Marin was just coming on the air right around that time uh, with his podcast that's gone huge. Uh, some other podcasts, and uh, of course, there's always NPR. I was very interested in This American Life and uh, Fresh Air with Terry Gross, and I thought, well, you know, this looks like a new media, uh, and I'm really interested in stories, and maybe I'll give this a shot. And uh, so that's how it began. In April 2009, I interviewed my first band, Illegal Action, in a fitting episode called No Talent Required, where we <laughs> talked about uh, how we got together and started playing without any, any musical background at all. Of course, that's a good way to start with a, in a punk band. And we interviewed Brian Corrigan and got some great stories out of it. And I was kind of hooked after that, and I started doing uh, an episode a month. And, of course, I invited you guys along the way later. Uh, what, uh, what was some of the thoughts that you have on uh, Music Life Radio, and what does it mean to you, Eric? Well, one of the things that I liked about it is over many, many years of playing music and being around and meeting just incredibly talented and wonderful people is not everybody stayed doing the same thing. And, but we met at kind of this epicenter of time and place and music and these different scenes. And over, over time, I've seen people go off in all these different directions and tangents and not necessarily stick with music, but just do these incredibly creative things, productive things, valuable things. And one of the things that I really liked about music life radio and, 
again, the mu intersection of music and life is looking at how music is maybe where the initial connection was, but how people took that passion and that passion has gone in so many directions and opened up so many spaces and a chance to really give people a stage and a voice to talk about the incredible work that they're doing. So. Yeah, it is. Uh, what's really cool about it is, is we may have an episode that barely even touches on music, but music touches everybody. Mm -hmm. And there's always some aspect of it, but it's, I like the ability to branch out and talk about anything, really, that we want to, which is really cool. What, do you, what, about, what is it for you, uh, Josh? Well, it's been great to get people to tell their stories. I mean, that was the thing that drew me to it, that you were telling people stories, and whether it be music, art, whatever is in people's lives that actually, you know, having them put down what their experiences were and, um, you know, maybe just even just if they're just talking about their musical career, like what happened, you know, what, what have been, what's the adventure been? And, uh, I really have enjoyed interviewing the people that I've interviewed you know, I, there's things that I discovered. There's bands I discovered because you had interviewed them and had them on the show. And I thought this is like a great way to discover new music, to hear people tell their stories and express whatever they needed to express. Because it was an open forum. And I've gotten really a lot of positive feedback from the people who, have, who I've worked with on the show. And it's really good. It's yeah, another good really thing. cool, a cool aspect of it is that you know, it's not just me doing it. It's you guys participating and bringing in people I would have never even heard of. And uh, I listen to uh, some of the music that they've done and the stories that they tell, and I am really impressed. It's very, very cool. And I really want to thank you guys a lot for being a part of it. And uh, let's continue on to a thousand if we can, if we can make that far. <laughs> there, there's enough people that I'd like to talk to. That shouldn't be a problem at all. Thank, I, thank is, you for, for coming up with the idea because this has been a lot of fun. And Yeah, certainly true. So after that uh, first episode, back in April 2009, I, you know, I started doing one a month. And uh, it was really interviewing family and friends kind of in the beginning. I interviewed my father-in-law who grew up in uh, Holland during World War II. And he talks about how the German, you know, what was the music like? You know, what did you listen to on the radio? And my favorite takeaway from that is there were no radios. The Germans took all the radios and they <laughs> broke them and they would not allow you to have them. Wow. And uh, you may hear some music uh, at a wedding or something like that. But no, there was no radios, you know, mainly because they wanted to keep communications away from everybody. Uh, interesting stories like that. We've had uh, Chris Panny on the show, who's from the No-Nos and uh, the Cop-Outs. And uh, he worked with Eddie Kramer, who worked with a lot of great bands. And Hendrix. And Hendrix, exactly. That's probably you know the, the biggest person he's worked with. And uh, he had some really cool stories. And, and you know, a lot of these, there's always some kind of commonality, that something that we can relate to as humans. Uh, that's really what I look for in a lot of these stories. Uh, in July of 2009, of course, I interviewed Eric... Uh, for an episode called Special Guest, where <laughs> he talks about going on the road with the white trash debutantes, and that was really, really cool. What's a favorite moment from that interview for you? Oh, you know, that, that, that's one of those, those stories that I, I revisit a lot. The most eye-opening part of that was when we were waiting at the border of Canada to get in, and as we're watching the, another band's van 
getting a white glove tested. Literally, the, the guards <laughs> are put, the uh, Canadian border guards are putting on white gloves and unscrewing the equipment, and and actually putting their hand across stuff, holding it up to the sun to look for anything. And at one point, after about three hours of anxiety, Ginger Coyote says to us, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention that the last time we went to Canada, half the band was body cavity searched. <laughs> and it just, I, I, I'll, I'll just never forget that moment, what that felt like. That just kind of, that moment of, do I go forward? Do I go back? Do I give up? <laughs> what what wait, I, what what, did, what does a person do at that point in your life? And then literally an hour later, when the border guard came up to us and said, uh, "Ginger Coyote, your vehicle checks out. You're you're good to go." And all any of us thought was, "You searched the wrong vehicle. Thank you so much, officer." <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'll never forget that. It's just a feeling that can't be uh, captured anywhere. It's one of those precious moments for sure. Yep, very cool. So in uh, August 2009, we had an episode called Permanent Thunder, and that was with Scott Warder. Uh, his brother Tim is in my band, Visitor 42, and uh, Scott had come out and done a video, a, a student film for uh, Montana State University called Permanent Thunder. And uh, I hosted these guys for about a week as we ran around town interviewing bands and putting this movie together, and we pretty much... Stayed up, I would say we maybe got four hours of sleep a night if we were lucky. And uh, I was so burned out, but I had so many great memories from that time. And uh, in that episode, we talked about that. And then we had some other episodes with my friend Sid, Osgood, and uh, eventually I started to branch out and interview some other people, people I didn't know at all. And I met this guy named Phil Johnson at a comedy club in Oakland where he was performing. This is a guy that does musical comedy you know so he'll tell jokes and then he'll bust into some uh, comedic songs and they're really funny um you can check out his website he's been on tour all over the world uh, in the united states doing his comedy uh he's just trying to make it to the next level he's pursuing his dream this is all he does you know and and that was very impressive to me um we had some other friends in a band called 10 ton feather uh and then Back in January 2010, I reached out to a person, Nick V, who is a, uh, uh, in a rap band called Party Crashers. And he brought a lot of, uh, he schooled me on what hyphy was all about and the whole Oakland rap scene, uh, Mac Dre and all sorts of stuff. Uh, and so I learned a lot of stuff from there. And then uh, I interviewed a, a person, I think we all know, um, John Binkoff from The Victims. Uh, an early San Francisco punk band, and uh, I'm going to play you a clip uh, that I did from an interview with him, uh, just as a follow-up to this interview, and so we'll we'll play that for you here. Hey, John, how you doing? Hey, Dan. Welcome uh, back to the program, John. How are you doing today? I'm fine. You know, Dan, I, I can't remember when the original interview was, but I think it was 10 years ago, but I could be wrong. <laughs> it was uh, probably about four years ago. At that time, I was doing Pirates and Jelly Brains, and I really was mostly focusing on Jelly Brains. And then a couple years later, uh, after I had left Pirates and was focusing on Jelly Brains, Victims started up again, and we've been doing more and more since then. I know. I've recently seen the Victims not that long ago, in the last six months, uh, when you uh -huh. guys played with uh, that was Fracas's last show. Of course, they just played Fraggle Fest recently, but um, uh, yeah, well, sort of their last show, yeah, yeah, sort but, of, yeah. 
or the last show for a while till the next time. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> the knockout. Yeah. Um, so what have you been up to musically? I know Victims has kind of got a resurgence. Talk about that a little bit. Okay, well, obviously, you know, since Janine passed away last summer, Jelly Brains are completely done. I, I can't, you know, continue that without her, and I won't. Um, victims, you know, we've been falling into shows mostly, you know, we just played two weeks ago with the Sonics down in San Jose at the Blank Club, and that was a truly awesome, elevating experience. I mean, besides the band themselves, the Sonics, the, the club was great, the people were wonderful, the, you know, the people that were at the show, and it was a very good, very fulfilling experience. I mean, I personally had known of the Sonics since very, very long time, and so it meant a lot to me. Then last night, we played a show with the members who, uh, you know, an old punk band from England, and a lot of people actually, for some reason, I don't know why, had never heard Sound of the Suburbs or Solitary Confinement. I, I, you know, that's fine. That was sort of fulfilling, too, in a different sense, because that band particularly, very unpretentious, very just down-to-earth, we come to the club, 7.30 to load equipment. They're already there. They're not acting like rock stars. <laughs> they're there. They're, they're chatting with everybody. They're jovial, you know, all of that. And um, we had to play a short, short set because there was four bands on the bill, but it was good. And um, they were very good, too. No, oh, that's very good to hear. Yeah. And then, then we have a bunch more shows coming up. We weren't planning on playing that often. We wanted to make things special, but things just sort of jumped to us. And, you know, frankly, we still have turned down way more shows than we've played. We're not going to go up to Martinez and play a bar. You know? But yeah. um, <laughs> uh. past that, uh, we hope to make some videos. Um, we have a bunch of new songs, and, you know, it's a good way to, you know, people find out about them yeah i was gonna ask so you've been you've already been in the process of recording new material we have two new songs that we finished we have a couple more that are in process um we actually have one that Luz sings and one that i sing we'll see how far that goes and then we've started a third one too so in increments you know yeah. moving along like that anything else uh, as far as music for you other projects or anything? Yeah, I'm still teaching at Holy Names University. This semester, I'm teaching the history of popular music. I start from the year 1260, and I'll probably go, I won't think I'll get as far as Iggy Azalea and Sam Smith, but I'll get pretty far up covering, you know, slave songs, blues, Zigfield um, Follies, show tunes, jazz, ragtime, big band, swing, early rock and roll, rhythm, and blues, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, no, that sounds really uh, Everything. I'm not, I'm not just, like, specializing in stiff records or something like that. Those <laughs> kids don't want to know about that. Yeah. So um, there's that, and I still teach guitar privately. Very cool. Anything, well, else, you, anything else you want to share with us before we wrap it up? Well, I'm glad you called me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Dan. Yeah, Thank you. All right. Hey, thanks for uh, being part of this. See ya. Bye. I had this book on the SF punk scene and pretty sure he was talked about or he was in that book. Yeah, that band was really cool. They got back together in around 95. They were, so they were big in the set, late 70s, early 80s. You know, Mabuhe, the Mab, the Fab Mab. Really impressive uh, band, but they were playing again back in the 90s, in the mid-90s, kind of when I was starting off in uh, the bands I was starting to play in. Um, really cool. Then, of course, a, a mutual friend of ours, 
uh, in an episode called uh, Miguel Kiss Eye, we had the Mig Man <laughs> on. And uh, this guy's a character in himself. That's a great episode. Uh, check it out. He's actually doing really well these days. In fact, Josh, you were playing in the band with him recently, but I think you both are now retired <laughs> from the band. <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> Uh, a, a side project that's still trying to get established. Both you and Mig have other priorities. Well, and, other and, bands. and it is one of the 30 bands or so that's in this room. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and they, they do some great music. I think Mike Ortiz is continuing on. But Mig, of course, he's in a band called Beta Ray. Uh, and they're gearing up to go down to L.A. and do some recording and they're going to hit the streets hard. They've uh, started doing a lot of, or getting ready to do a lot of gigs. And uh, they've got a guy coming in from Texas to uh, work on their recording. And of course, Al is in that band. Al is also in Gunpowder. And uh, one of the commonalities that we all have uh, as hosts and co hosts is we were all in Gunpowder together at That's one right. point or another and uh, played many very fun shows. Then uh, in April of 2010, we had a guy named Kyle Thompson, who I had uh, heard. He was an intern on a podcast called Keith and the Girl that I had listened to a lot, uh, probably before I would started this one. It's just a comedy uh, podcast. And anyway, he was doing some music. He played some music on the show, and I thought it, uh, his story was really cool. And uh, instead of trying to actually talk to him over Skype, he lived in New York at the time, um, I just said, hey, I'm going to send you some questions, and you record your own story and send it to me, and I'll put it together with the music. And uh, this is a format I never, I didn't know if it was going to work or not. I think it worked out really well. Uh, so he answered the questions, and I inserted uh, my own voice into the, some of the questions. And uh, it was like a virtual interview. I mean, it's like a new way to collaborate with people. And uh, I've done it um, on several other interviews, and I think it worked out pretty well. One of the bigger guests that I've had on was in May uh, 2010. Uh, we had Mark Marin on the show. Funny story about this. I had just sent him an email and I said, hey, would you like to be on the show? This was, you know, he'd had mild success, I think. He'd been on several comedy TV specials and has gone around uh, as a touring comedian for a long time. He was uh, one of the, the, the morning hosts for Air America. He was on Air America, too, in fact. Amazing. Yeah, and when he started his podcast, he was recording it at the Air America studios knowing that he was losing his job there. Oh, you know? that, was the na- that was the nastiest email I ever sent when they took him off the air. I yeah. think they replaced him with Jerry Springer. Oh. And I, I just sent this scathing email. because My mornings were great driving up with Mark Maron. And Jerry Springer was an insult. I mean, it was like, why are you even, why bother? Yeah, exactly. And anyway, I picked him up at the BART station took him back to the house. We had a nice chat, and then I was going to go drive him back to the BART station where because he had a show that, that day uh, at the Purple Onion, and I realized my wife had left with the car, so I had to walk him to the BART station. We had a nice <laughs> chat on the way back. I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> uh, I gave him a little smoky amp as a gift. But anyway, Mark Barron's gone on to a huge success. He's actually interviewed a lot of musicians. Uh, another person that I interviewed around this time was Matt Blackett from a guitar player magazine and we get a nice inside look at a guitar playing media cool interview he shared some stories about jeff beck and eddie van halen that were pretty priceless and uh, he's still at the magazine and i'm gonna play for you now a little uh, track from that i recorded with matt here uh telling uh, us about what he's doing now hello hi matt it's uh, dan slaughter how you doing Hey, I'm good, Dan. How are you, man? Hey, you're really good, man. Hey, thanks, Matt, for uh, being part of our 
100th episode for Music Live Radio. I wanted to reach out to you and see what you're doing musically. What's up these days? Well, thanks for having me. Congratulations on 100 episodes. I think that's great. Uh, what's going on? What's going on with me musically is since you and I last spoke, there have been there have been a couple things that I've been involved with. You know, I did a, some work with this singer songwriter named Lisa Marie Johnston, who I really like. I think she's very talented, just a good singer, a good songwriter, and uh, there were a lot of great musicians in this band that I got to play with, and so that for me was really cool. You know, a guy named Jeff Gomes on drums. Uh, who's in Kehoe Nation and has done a lot of work around the East Bay, Orion Salazar on bass, who played on all those Third Eye Blind hits, and just a great bass player, great guy. And so that was really cool. So we haven't been gigging so much lately, but there was some recording that we did. She's got a tune on one of the latest KFOG um, compilations, and I guess that's getting some airplay, a song called Home to Oakland that I played guitar and ukulele on. Oh, fun. And so, yeah, so that, that was a lot of fun, and I like that. And again, even though we're not doing a whole lot of stuff right now, I really did enjoy that, and we'll probably do more work in the future. And then when I wasn't doing that, I've been working in the studio on some of my own stuff that is hopefully going to go into, if not a full-length album, at least an EP of some pop rock tunes that have been kind of rattling around in my brain for a long, long time. And so I'm getting closer to finishing that, even though it's, I'm not really good at the finishing, you know, <laughs> I'm better, better at the process. And if I'm not careful, I will get, stay in the process because I enjoy it so much forever, you know, and it's a, I, you know, my day job is very deadline driven and without a deadline, I don't really, I don't really finish things so much. So hopefully I can impose a deadline on myself and actually get those tunes done. Awesome. Are you working with any uh, musicians we may know? Yeah, the um, the same bass player who I just mentioned, Orion Salazar, he's on a few of these tunes. Uh, and again, just a great player. Um, Terry Carlton on drums, who's a drummer I worked with for ages. And in fact, the last time you and I shared a bill together, Terry was on drums and he was in my Shark Sandwich band. We've done a ton of work over the years. And so it's good to be working with him again. Just to, I mean, got to be the best drummer I've ever worked with. And then a really good singer named Maria Morell, who I met uh, when I was subbing for this band, Pop Fiction, a really good show band that my friend Dan Meblin runs. And uh, I think she's just a great singer, really good pop singer, really good rock singer. She can sing anything, you know, but these tunes are kind of in the pop rock vein. So, um, so we'll see, you know, and now that I'm actually saying this publicly, maybe that'll light a fire under me <laughs> to actually finish the thing. Awesome. So how has a guitar player been uh, treating you? I, mean, I, I just saw that you had a recent article about Ingve on there, and uh, I was also wanted to ask you about this, the Scorpion's Farewell Tour. How did that go? How was that? You know, that's funny. The, the, the easy answer to the question is there's still there's a lot to love about my guitar player work. You know, I still really dig the subject matter. I love my team. I love the guys that I work with there. And those... Uh, the the stories you just mentioned were actually a blast. You know, the Ingve story, I just, I, I, I love that guy. You know, I mean, people, people are split on him, obviously. He elicits some pretty strong reactions, but I'm, I'm at peace with Ingve now, and I just, <laughs> I love what he does, and I don't want anybody else to play the way he plays, but I'm really glad that he plays that way. And uh, so he's always just hilarious to talk to. You know, he has a very healthy self-image and uh and but i think that's great and again you know it's not bragging if you can back it up and the guy backs it up <laughs> <Definitely>. so <laughs> so that was um that was funny and hilarious and i just again i love him you know and then the 
the Scorpions thing was really neat for me because I actually got to go on the road with them just briefly a few years ago uh, and, you know, go uh, catch a few shows, have unfettered access to them, conduct some really in-depth interviews. And uh, the story you're referencing was after that, but this farewell tour was actually beginning a few years ago. And so that was part of the funny part of it is just to say like, all right, big, how long is this farewell tour going to go on? You know, and is this really farewell? And are you guys truly saying Alfieder saying to everyone? And, uh, and the fact is they are, but they're such a big band that it takes them that long to hit all the places <laughs> that they want to hit, yeah. you know? And, uh, but it was, uh, it's just really cool. You know, I think that they're just, they're obviously a legendary band and they're good guys. And that was some of those, earlier records were a huge part of the soundtrack of my youth. And so for me, it was really cool to, to kind of see it up close and personal and be able to check things out and they'll let me play their guitars and all that kind of stuff. You know, it was, it was cool. You know, the, definitely the fan in me came out on that one and that's a blast. And again, that's part of what I really dig about my job. And, you know, then I had an even bigger thing recently where I finally got to meet Brian May, who's like, a huge hero of mine. Oh, you know, yeah. I had just, awesome. just done a story on him, but then when Queen and Adam Lambert came to town uh, a couple months ago, I was able to get a little audience with the guy, and, you know, he signed my Brian May guitar for me, and he was just completely cool and gracious, and it was, it was amazing. I mean, you know, he's just, it's, you, you meet your hero, and he's actually a hero. It's, you, you can't ask for anything more than that. It was awesome. Yeah, that guy is amazing. Yeah, and it was the, the funny part of that is, you know, I think I told you a story about being able to meet uh, with Jeff Beck one time, and there was a hot rod guy who was also there, and Beck just didn't even want to deal with me, because he doesn't want to talk to guitar geeks, he wants <laughs> to talk to hot rod guys, that's yeah. what he loves, and when I got to meet Brian May, there were only a few other people around, but one of them, no joke, worked for NASA, and, you know, Brian May's got a Ph.D. in astrophysics. And so he, all he wanted to do was talk to this guy who, I, I'm, I'm not kidding, I think he said he worked on the Mars rover. He brought him uh, a chunk of what I think was a spaceship. It would look like a piece of platinum or something. And I'm going, okay, here I am, a dork with a Brian May guitar. You know, it's like, so that was very humbling and really good, I think very healthy. But he, again, once he was done talking to the astronaut guy, he was completely cool and completely gracious. And I had his undivided attention for, you know, whatever it was, a couple minutes or something. So I'll take what I can get. And that's fine. Hard to compete with a NASA guy. Yeah. Well, that's awesome that our heroes have, they're just fans too. You know, it's just a, maybe of different subjects and whatnot, but they're just as human as we are. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yep. In his own way. I guess. He is. <laughs> well, uh, thanks Matt. Um, do you have anything else you want to share with us? Yeah, that pretty much gets you up to date, I think. You know, it's again, I'm, I feel lucky to, to still like the kind of stuff that I liked the last time you and I spoke and when I was a kid. So I'm kind of doing the same stuff, only hopefully a little bit better. Thanks for your time, Matt. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. You know, and best of luck with the next hundred shows. You can come on home whoa, whoa, to Oakland. My light is on. My door is open You can occupy my arms If you're lonesome Baby, if you're lonesome Then come on home to open Hey old friend, how are you? Ooh, it's good to hear from 
2010. Uh, this is the time that I started doing about, we started putting out about two a month. And uh, I thought, well, this is going pretty well. Why not make some more work for myself? I'll do <laughs> two a month. At this time, this is when you guys uh, were starting to come in and help out. One of the episodes I did was with the band Dirty Power. And that was really cool. Eric and I had uh, seen them play live. This is a band that went up to Seattle and, re- and recorded with one of my heroes, Jack and Dino, who course has done a billion albums um probably most famously known for nirvana's bleach album uh those guys were great uh fun time then i interviewed another comedian danny labelle this was an interesting interview because it didn't start on time and i didn't know what was going on and eventually i did get in touch with him and it turns out a friend of his harvey Picar, had passed away that same day of course that's the artist uh, our author for the American Splendor graphic novels. Uh, he's done a lot of other stuff as well, but he had a, I think he had a heart attack and then passed away that day. But we had a really good uh, talk uh, and focused more on the life side than the music side, I think. And he choked up a few times, but uh, it was a pretty interesting interview. And then we had some other interviews with some local talent. We had Lawrence uh, Genova, and that was really interesting. And then uh, John Montagna who is a professional bass player. Josh knows uh, him, I believe, right? Well, I think I first heard of him when a friend posted a video that he'd done, and he was wishing Paul McCartney a happy birthday. And he was just playing bass, and he did Live and Let Die. And I was just blown away at how good it was and how great this guy was. And I was like, oh, this is someone I want to hear more of. And then it turned out later, he went to school with Herman, who I did an interview with. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so the Berkeley guys, so. So John is, you know, he's a studio musician. He uh, plays with lots of bands. Back when we did the interview, he was on a tour like a 60s revival show with like the Turtles and bands like that. I think it was the Happy Together Tour. The Happy Together Tour, exactly. And uh he also recorded a live tour diary, what it's like to be on the road with this band and he talks about uh famous shirt that he had and it disappeared and then it reappeared and <laughs> some other some really some shenanigans on the road oh and then um probably the biggest interview we did was back in september 2010 where we got jason everman on the show and uh jason uh was always been an interesting person to me and i i tried to tend to find people that are not in the spotlight uh here's a guy that was in both nirvana and soundgarden at, uh, in early on in both of those bands' careers, he played gu- his second guitar in uh, Nirvana's. Uh, on the Bleach album, he gets credit. He only paid for the recording. He didn't actually play on it. And he talks about how he worked in the, uh, the uh, fishing industry up in Alaska, and then he had all this money. And he said, hey, uh, his, one of his friends was Chad Channing, who was the drummer at Nirvana at the time. And so he gave him $606 or whatever it was to 
pay for this the recording, which actually is now you know one of my favorite recordings of all time. I think. Anyway, I was able to track him down because of good old Google and Columbia University's uh, lack of concern for privacy information, <laughs> probably for their students. I was able to find his email address uh, on a Columbia registry, uh, and it had his email. So I sent him wow. an email, and he responded back to it. Uh, I'm sure Columbia's tightened up their policy on uh, information, I maybe. I really hope so. <laughs> but uh, he was a great sport and a really fascinating interview. Uh, and so we've got a little snippet. I've managed to track him down, and uh, let's hear from him now. Hello? Dan? Hey, Jason. How you doing? All right. What's going on? Last time we talked, it was uh, September of 2010, and at that point, you were at Columbia University working on a communications degree. Oh, no, philosophy degree. Sorry. And uh, so you wrapped that up. What have you been doing uh, since then? Mostly, uh, I, I took a break from doing anything and uh the past four five months i've been traveling mostly what kind of adventures have you uh, been involved with i lived in buenos aires argentina for about five weeks and uh including some some trekking down in patagonia that was amazing i'm totally in love with that city um contemplating living there at some point in the future uh did some sailing in the galapagos which was again amazing I did a cross-country motorcycle trip on a 40-year-old British motorcycles. Wildly impractical, but a, a lot of fun. Met some amazing folks. That, that was, I mean, that was like the type of experiences you, you can never plan for happened on that trip because <laughs> it, it was totally unscripted other than, okay, I'm going to start here and finish here. And I uh, met so many cool people on the way. That sounds really cool. How far of a trek did you make? Uh, I guess I'll total 2,700 miles. Oh, wow. That's that was pretty good. But yeah, it was fun. It was a good, really good experience, and it was something I'd always wanted to do. What was the uh, your favorite moment from that trip? Uh, there's so many, but uh, I guess one of the best parts of the trip was, well, on the first day I started having, there's mechanical challenges pretty much every day, just given the age and the make of the bike. So a lot of it was stuff I could do myself, especially in, in this day and age where I could text people who knew, knew more than I did and kind of get some tech support that way. Um, but I started having like electrical issues that was beyond my scope <laughs> and I, I needed, I needed to be in Chicago by, uh, June 26, I think, cause I was participating in the Pat Tillman foundation leadership summit. Oh, cool. Yeah. I had to meet that hard time. So I, I text my buddy in New York and he, I'm like, Hey, do you know anyone in Chicago who can work on Brit bikes? And, uh, he texts me back in like 30 minutes. He's like, yeah, call this dude. So I called him and like, yeah, when you get into town, just give me a call. Uh, so this guy, Jordan, I called him when I got in town. It's like, yeah, okay, uh, drop the bike off. Uh, my friend Mikey's house. So Jordan and Mikey, these two uh, vintage bike enthusiasts, took a lot of their own personal time and, and helped me out and fixed the bike and got me on the road again when I needed to be back on the road because I had another hard time uh, a few days after that. Uh, again, what it goes back to is just these amazing you know, people that are just regular folks, you know, that were like so, so kind and so... They went so far out of the way to help. They didn't even know me. It's great. Yeah. Now that's awesome. That's what this life's all about, in my opinion. Yeah. Have you been playing any music recently? You know, just even on your own. I remember you shared some uh, solo recordings you had done. I didn't know. I was just wondering if you had uh, gotten back into music at all. Yeah. I mean, I practice all the time when I can. Uh, just a lot of noodling and stuff. Uh, obviously, my schedule hasn't permitted me to do any kind of band thing. You know, I'd still love to do a band sometime. 
for fun. Yeah. Do you have any new hobbies or interests since we last spoke? I mean, obviously you've been doing a lot of travel, but have you been getting into anything else? I mean, just, just more of the same old stuff, maybe different tangents, like like a his, history. And seriously, looking at grad school either this year or next year. I think I think I want to tackle a, a master's degree sooner rather than later. Which maybe, given that kind of stability of going to school, would kind of set the conditions for may, maybe playing some music with somebody. But uh, I mean, it's the same interest. It's just the geeky history stuff and. <laughs> my uh, uh, auto- automotive uh, mechanical inclinations. Um, I guess a new geeky interest is like I've been obs- obsessed with sailing. Yeah, I know that well. We had to, at the Coast Guard Academy, I had to do a lot of sailing. <laughs> yeah, I've been reading a lot of accounts of um, solo circumnavigations and uh, view uh, like sailboat porn websites, you know, like <laughs> l- looking at boats both for sale and things like that and kind of going oh yeah you know which is another reason oh it'd be great to move back west and have a boat and a sail so i guess that's the latest kind of obsession probably again wildly impractical <laughs> but yeah it's got me yeah well that's cool and are you have you uh, thought about any of the schools that you'd want to go to for a grad school program yeah i got a, a new uh, friend in, in seattle he's a professor at seattle u history professor he's a like a shit military historian and so that's kind of the i think the angle i'd like to get into um as i as i get older and have to lead a probably less strenuous in many ways i think military historian would be a good field for me i guess because it interests me and in, uh, i don't know i've talked to him about schools he's recommended uh, Cal- a school in Calgary, Canada, it's like has a really good military history program. Uh, Norwich University here in the states, uh, a couple more, but I mean, not, you know, I'm still kind of weighing weighing the options right now. Well, uh, thanks again for taking some time uh, with us. Again, uh, the episode that we have on Music Live Radio with you was probably the most downloaded one every month. The stats for that show, uh, a lot of people really are interested, in, and and um, I get feedback every now and then. Uh, about it and uh, people are pretty impressed with just the rich life that you've led it's uh, pretty cool uh yeah i mean i guess for me the a lot of the joy is just in the in the doing you know the last four months have been really good just it's kind of the result of some not so great things that happened but it, it turned out to be a, a really positive thing like a kind of cramming maybe too much travel into too short a time but it was yeah it's been great and uh, yeah, I can't believe a week ago today I woke up on Mallorca like going, oh man, I got to go. You know? <laughs> I just wanted to stay. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, thanks, Jason. Um, this is great. Great, Dan. Cool. Yep, cool. All right. Take it easy. Okay, brother. See you. All right, bye. The next interview we did was with Powell St. John, who is a really fascinating guy. He's been doing music forever. Uh he was uh, at the University of Texas in Austin, and he was in a band called Waller Creek Boys. Waller Creek Boys was the first band that Janis Joplin actually was in. And, uh, of course, she went on to go to San Francisco, and so did he eventually, and, uh, and was in the band Mother Earth. Uh, he also had written songs for Rocky Erickson and the 13th Floor Elevators, and now he is playing in a band uh, Powell St. John and the Aliens, which actually has some of those people from uh, those early days. And it's a psychedelic rock, and uh, he's also an artist, a really fascinating guy, and it's great to see that he's still uh, kicking it.
uh, another really good interview was with the metal band Hot Fog that I that uh, I know about, and I love this band. I don't like their name that much. I became be a huge fan yeah. of them after <laughs> this interview, and have have it on vinyl and CD. And I have both the albums on vinyl. <laughs> they have a new one. Did you just get the the new one? I haven't gotten it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a double album, and it it's uh, on the full sized records, but uh, it plays at forty five RPMs. Uh, double double vinyl. It's really the length of one full. See, album. I have the vinyl, but yeah. I don't have a record player. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I have Eric's record player, which is nice. <laughs> and I have a record player, but nowhere to put it. So, I, hence the studio. Well, let's take a little segue here. What do you guys think about vinyl? Are you interested in getting back into vinyl? What do you guys think about digital music? I know it's convenient, but I've talked to a lot of people that really prefer the vinyl sound. Well, I was had my mind blown going to someone's house once, sat down and listened to some old prog and listened to it that way, and I couldn't believe how it sounded. I was like, oh my God, this is like, it's because it's reading the actual waveform. It's so yeah. much closer to what was actually recorded. Digital's never going to be able to get there, but I do think that the industry's kind of going more towards the higher quality digital forms rather than the low quality things that have been around for so long with iTunes and yeah, MP. Neil Young's been working on something called Pono. I think is the name. Uh, that's that's blown people away that have listened to it. I'm I'm looking forward to something like that coming out. You know, I'm on, now with digital, I'm I want to I want stuff like I, now I'm starting to rebuy CDs because I want the wave. Yeah. file i don't yeah. want the mp3 that i have on my computer yeah yeah and i've yeah. stopped buying cds i can't stand the sound yeah it's i i got a a vinyl turntable converter uh -huh. and i've been slowly i mean really slowly converting mm -hmm. some of my albums onto my computer into digital and the quality is better the volume is so much louder and especially those old CDs. I remember Black Sabbath CD. I'm like, what's oh, going on with this thing? That it's was like, <laughs> awful. I mean, the only time I enjoy Black Sabbath if I, is if I catch it on the radio. Yeah. I love Black Sabbath, but the CDs were yeah. just awful. Even the, even the tapes, because I have old Black Sabbath. I still have some cassette tapes around the house. And there's a richness to vinyl that you don't get with a digital sound. There's, a, there's just an overall tonal quality that fills up space. And but I, and we've talked about this too. Is I I think I also miss the whole stereo experience. Yeah, I remember uh, when my dad had this awesome tube stereo, and I would just listen to the radio to like bands like Scorpions and Rush, other bands, and just it was so immersive almost. And you just can't get that. I don't think with a pair of headphones and a digital wave file. It's, well, that's, that's yeah. I mean, how people are listening to music now is these tiny little speakers, and yeah. that, it's just not going to cut it. Even right. like the Bose things, they're not the same as having, like you're saying, a nice system or with vinyl. And I, I never really, I never really had any vinyl growing up, so I kind of missed out on that whole experience. Yeah, no, I remember I used to sit in my parents' living room, and I'd turn out all the lights and they had these humongous speakers they'd got in Europe. And yeah. they were over there in the early 70s when stereo was just starting up. And it was a big, a really big deal. And so they brought up back reel-to-reel -reel tapes 
the, the big tube amps, the turntables, everything. And, and I would just lie there in the middle of the floor and just let the sound roll over me. And I, I don't even listen to music that much because I can't stand the sound quality. There's also something to this, you know, like there's an energy behind the wave form yeah. coming from an analog and people can relate to that. But when you're chopping it up in little samples and trying to play it back, it, it loses this actual magic and energy, I think. There's a hollowness to yes. it. And a lot of people have, have, have said that same thing that we've interviewed. Um, getting back to Hot Fog, though, these guys, uh, they sing a lot about like Dungeons and Dragons and Knights and all sorts of stuff. Uh, and they talk about the first time they played Dungeons and Dragons, which was very, very comedic because they don't know what they're doing. And Unlike people like us <laughs> who actually are old school D&D geeks. Uh, but it was very, very funny. Uh, those guys are just a trip. There was like four of them. I bought Very cool God, about a case and a half of beer, and uh, I thought maybe at the end of the interview I'd have one or two, and, but they drank it all. They were getting up during the interview, popping the caps and uh, sucking them down, and uh, God bless them, man. The next uh, person that we interviewed was this guy named Kevin McLeod, and he's interesting. Uh, this guy gives out royalty-free music. He's a composer, and he just that's all he does. He makes music, he makes music for films. He gives away for free. All he asks is that you give him credit you know, under common criteria. And, uh, and you know, if you use something, uh, some of his music, throw him a few bones, you know, go to PayPal. And uh, so I've used some music of his in some of the episodes where I was interviewing people that weren't music related and I just needed some background music that I didn't have to get permission for. Uh, and I give him credit for it and I give him some money. Uh, very interesting guy. Uh, he's had a lot. He's out in New York as well. Uh, so check out that interview if you haven't listened to it. That was the IncomTech one. IncomTech, yep, yep. That's his website, IncomTech.com. He uh, so he does the royalty-free music, and then he also has graph paper. <laughs> you can print out graph paper from his site for free. Very cool. And uh, he makes his money from ads and uh, and whatnot. But he's probably got the most IMDb film credits of anybody of all time because everybody uses his music, and of course they have gave him credit for it, so it mm -hmm. appears on as a as a credit and uh, on. IMDb, the Internet Movie Database, for those unfamiliar with that term. Me. Yeah. <laughs> I had a friend of mine called uh, Eric Reel, and uh, he started writing poetry a lot uh, in the mid-90s and, and on, and actually I used some of the IncompTech music, and I put it to his poetry, and so we talk about poetry and music and uh I thought that was a kind of a unique interview and uh, experience with the, the music fit really well with uh, these poems that he did. And then in January 2011, a group that we all know that was just starting to get kind of a resurgence, they got back together after about 10 years of uh, not being together anymore, Bobby Joe Ebola and the Children McNuggets. What was your first thoughts or memories of that band, Josh? I have no memories of that band. You don't know that band? No. <laughs> I, I remember listening to the interview, Yeah, but I, I don't really remember. I mean, just the name. You were in the band Left Out Lamont. Did we play with them? Yeah, they put on, those guys put on the Geek Fest, remember? Oh. Those are the Geek, the Geek oh. Fest guys. Right? Well, I could tell you about Geek Fest, but I don't yeah. really remember much of any of the other bands or yeah, yeah. I remember the experience, but. They're actually involved in a lot. I mean, their, their fingers are in everything now because. But what they're working on now is they're working with the Green Day guys, and there's a period from like 80, 
something to about 91 and they're looking at just the music scene from that era in the east bay music scene and then they were doing a lot of interviews with that and putting together some kind of film for green day so yeah i've seen been seeing their posts oh, that's nice. gonna be yeah. really cool yeah and then of course they're producing just about every kind of product under the sun i think they've got <laughs> coloring books coloring books tab, and tab books. i mean if there's something that you need as the odd yeah gift or the odd something they have it i mean it's pretty much a given they've done a lot of videos pretty cool things they've done a short documentary on themselves uh that you can get online at their website uh and they have a lot of good tunes uh yeah. i'm really hip on to bone dagger <laughs> i was thinking about bone dagger right now it actually ties in well with hot fog yes it does uh. but yeah they're still doing really well that was a two-parter. Well, I guess with Powell St. John, I had made that a two-parter, but I've decided that anything that goes over maybe an hour and a half really can't go on much longer than that, and I try to split those up into uh, two-parters. Then we had a band from New York called Moon Hooch, which is actually really interesting. These guys are doing really well. Yeah, you know Moon Hooch? There's another band that I yeah. became absolute fan of when I heard them and just like I still listen to them all the time. Yeah. Like li- to two saxophones and a drummer. Yeah. It always reminded me of that song, the Fear song, New York's New All Right. Saxophone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, and these guys are great. They get, they they kind of got their start playing in the subways and you know on the streets. They call their music cave music. It's kind of this primal dance music, I guess is what you could call it. They all have really extensive backgrounds in jazz. Uh, students of music. What's the school that they? I can't remember. I don't it's remember. A, what is a school in New York? Juilliard uh, Ju- would sound impressive. I, I don't know if it's that or, or not. But anyway, but it would uh, sound impressive. I, I yeah. seem to think that they all went to different schools. At one point, they were going to the same school, but I know okay. they branched off. That's what the guy from Tenacious D got in trouble for saying he was a graduate of Juilliard, and Juilliard yeah. was like, "We do not <laughs> teach classical guitar. That is beneath us." And he's like, "Look, I, that was a joke." Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So, but anyway, these guys are great. They've uh, they've been doing a lot recently. I think they've got a new album out. You can buy T-shirts from them. But you should check them out. They've got some great YouTube videos, and you just can't help but want to just kind of get into the music when you hear it. Uh, really, something new and exciting. Then uh, we had a John Harrington. He is actually the guitar player for Steely Dan, and I think his publicist had gotten in contact with me to do an interview. And this guy is a great guy. He's been in the lead guitar player for Steely Dan for maybe about the last 12 years and he's been doing lots of side projects uh, another guy that has a really extensive jazz background and has some really in- interesting stories uh, and then this is the time that uh, Josh started doing interviews and your first one was with uh, with Derek Theron Derek Theron yeah a friend of mine um, yeah and it was interesting because I, I think you would talk to me like at least six months before that about maybe doing it i was like oh i'd like to i think i'd like to to do that to, to work on the show and i started thinking about who i would interview and i don't know if i really had any concrete ideas at that point but uh, eventually you know because i'd been friends with derek for a while and he had been doing some good rock music i was like oh yeah it's good good place to start you know someone i'm familiar with and great great musician great producer so that was that was a lot of fun. It was a real easy interview too, because you know you're talking to your to someone you know. It just flowed, and we did get a chance to touch base with Derek. Uh, here's what's going on in his world these days. 
Yeah, I've got a, uh, I've got a couple artists in here recording albums. I got I got one one lady who's doing uh, sort of Native American uh, influence stuff. I got this other guy who's coming here doing very uh, very technical guitar oriented stuff. I'm gonna have to program my sequencers and my drum machine and. The other thing I have going on is uh, me and my friend uh, Tony from uh, from the London area in UK are going to be putting together a uh, a video tutorial series. Uh, one of them is going to be called Rookie Mixing, where where we, we uh, take beginners, people that might who think that they might want to get into audio production or learn how to uh, produce music, record music, and just take them through the beginning stages of it because that's actually the the, the most difficult part. And we have this other one that we're going to be doing called Song Buddha, which is more of a how to how to actually create a song. Uh, you know how to take a melody and build a song around it, write the music for it, the rhythms and stuff like that. That's that's what we have going on. It's a really different direction for us. That's about it, man. I'm not. Uh, I haven't got my Grammy yet. I remember one thing about it was that I just recorded it with my little Zoom microphone, and you said. Was he in the room with me? And I was like, no, he was, it was via Skype and he was, you know, back in Massachusetts. And because of technology and the internet, you know, was, was able to do it from my bedroom, basically. I found actually over time that that was like the most efficient way to do interviews because if you're sitting there with someone, you'd, they, you'd end up having a lot more space that you'd have to edit out whereas when you're talking to someone directly on the internet it's like when there's you know dead space yeah. oh here's the next uh question yeah yeah well believe me i definitely go in and edit out stuff in uh in the interviews that we do because i <laughs> i have a tendency to, to talk like bob newhart sometimes where i'll start a stutter train while i'm trying to get my thought together and then finally i get it ah but you know what do you listen to it back and look it sounds very professional yeah, but it was really it was really great to get someone to tell their story about, you know, their musical journey and even more on the next next one that I did. Yeah, talk about that one. Uh with um Cecilia Cecilia. Cecilia Populous. I first met her through a coworker back in the day, and then she had my old band Left Out Lamont on her show, which was I think From Ears to Mouth Presents. What it was basically was like a, the old cable access, yeah. you know, shows. And she came to our studio at Secret Studios and <laughs> and filmed us one day. And that was on TV at some point. What was it? Channel 26, maybe. She had a long career of interviewing people. She had a magazine at one point, And then she, I think she was actually working for the cable station, like as a producer, um, as well as having her own show. And I actually debuted on that show later yeah i went on there it was funny it was like when they got the new studio i went on there thinking i was just testing things out for her. i go down there with my guitar i don't have any songs i don't have anything prepared and she's like no i want you to be on the show and i'm like uh okay improvise <laughs> and just made it up <laughs> on the spot with you know spotlights on me and i'm sweating and i'm just like okay <laughs> i'm just gonna play jazz. something That's yeah, there you go. so that was that was another uh that was i thought it was a good interview but i was i was getting my toes wet at that point yeah i thought it was good i remember she had interviewed 
or had the the church on her show, and I was always a big fan of that band. A pretty impressive list of people that she had had on her program. Very cool. In uh, May 2011, uh, I reached out to another person, and this again was like a kind of like a pipe dream. But I I knew he was doing podcasts. He had his own podcast. This is Stephen Tobolowski, who is a, an actor that's probably been on over 200 TV shows and movies. He's a character uh, actor. His probably most famous role is uh, Ned Ryerson in Groundhog's Day, uh, the insurance salesman. Uh, he was on Glee. Uh, for people that are looking at TV these days, he's played lots of villains. Uh, really fascinating guy, and uh, we got to talk to him. And he grew up in Texas, Cliff Oaks, uh, in a white flight zone of Texas. And uh, he talks actually about how in uh, high school he was in a band, and uh, they went to record some songs. And who comes in to play lead guitar on the songs? Stevie Ray Vaughan. Wow. I think he was 14 or 15 years old. And he gave me some tracks from that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you're listening to the song. It sounds like some garage rock. And you hear this guy start to play this little lead. And then all of a sudden, boom, he just busts into it. And you're just like, yep, that's him. <laughs> so it was super cool uh, to have him on the show. Uh, and then we had uh, a band interview that Josh did, Tetrafusion. Talk about those guys. Tetrafusion. I think... I might have found them through MySpace, or they might have found me, uh, because I I was like into Dream Theater, which is another prog metal band, and and I think that their whoever was doing the site, they like sent a link or something. Somehow it I got connected to them, and I was like, oh, I like this. I I listened to it, and I think it was kind of a thing of like over time I started. Like going, oh, Tetrafusion. So after I'd, I think, probably had their first album, when I was thinking about who, who I should interview, you know, I was like, oh, maybe I'll, I'll reach out to them. And they were the first band that I, or first people that I, I reached out to that I didn't know. And I thought, oh, this will be an interesting, you know, thing to do. And came up, quest, came up with questions. And it took a while to get them, um, Nailed down for the, when we were going to do oh, the interview. Oh, sure, yeah. Because they were really busy, and they're yeah. all in school, college mm-hmm. students. Um, I do have an update on them. They've been working on their next album, which they've been working on for the last two years. So I expect it's going to be pretty awesome. Um, their bass player, Mark Michelle, he's been touring with the, another prog band called Scale the Summit. Uh, in fact, they just played the Metro in Oakland oh, cool. this, this week. And he also put out a um, a base studies book. I like their stuff. It's not for everybody. Not everybody's into prog metal. <laughs> <laughs> Josh is our prog correspondent for all things prog. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, we've gotten uh, some very cool interviews with bands that I've never would have heard of. Then in July 2011, of course, I uh, had to bring some more family on the show because I couldn't have my father-in-law and not have my mother on the show mm. since she's a musician, a flute player. Uh, uh, she plays in a, you know, an amateur band and uh, has a great time. I guess it's more of an orchestra, uh, but she talks about her life. I learned some stuff that I never knew. Uh, her first husband was uh, 
in Vietnam and killed in combat. And mm. so uh, she was, you know, in Panama at the time when all that happened. And uh, it's very interesting to see how a young woman at that point has to pick up with two kids and try to survive. Uh, and she ended up doing very well for herself. Uh, so a good story. And then, uh, then we have another person that most of us, well, we all know, because this person uh, was in our studio sharing our space, Chuck Lindo. Chuck. Yes. You know, I actually did two interviews with him. Oh, that's right, because the, the first one didn't the turn out. Did I ever send you the second one? I, I, I sent it to him. But basically what happened was we went down. Right. I was trying to interview, and we are going to go to, like, this hotel and, like, think that we could find a nice, quiet place. <laughs> and we get there, and there's a convention going on. <laughs> so we can't go there. So then we wander around, uh, you know, south of the market for a bit. We end up at Captain Eddie Rickenbacker's at a nice noisy bar, which has got music playing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I'm like, there's no way Dan's gonna let this one go, you know. But I I, I did the whole interview, and you know, it was nice and relaxed. We had a few beers and ate some food and talked, you know, talked about the story of his life and. It's really interesting stuff that he went through and being in the band, the Nukes, which was, you know, they were really, they were getting really big. And then they brought him out here and kind of hit the San Francisco scene. <laughs> it was like, no, because that was like maybe around 92 or something, yeah. 91, 92. And it was like all this, it was Primus and Fungo Mungo. It was all yeah, this yeah. funk thrash going on then. <laughs> As well as the thrash scene. Yeah, yeah. Metallica. And yeah, and Testament. Exodus and, and Testament, yeah. <laughs> so it was interesting. <laughs> but the thing that, that I always remember about, so and then we, we did the second interview at, back at his place, and he yeah. lives near the cable car line. So I spent literally eight hours <laughs> editing that interview from a two-hour segment down to one hour because I had to take out all the – Street noise. I think at one point I left it in just for character. Yeah. Pretty much had to just do a lot of editing. I think his, his cat kept bumping the mic and <laughs> there was a lot of. Uh, I've had to things. do many technical edits on episodes. I remember doing the one with Jason Everman. He must have had a fan or something going in the background uh, over Skype and uh, it would be an oscillating fan. So you could get here. <laughs> <laughs> And I just tweaked the hell out of the EQ, uh, just work it, work it, work it. I finally got it to I thought where it was good enough. And I was doing a voiceover uh, recently for a video cartoon, and we were doing it off the cable car line. And so what we were doing is we were watching out the window and trying to actually do five-second to ten-second snippets between cable yeah. cars. <laughs> But there, there's just there's so much noise, extra noise that comes with. It's kind of the gift that just keeps giving. Yeah, definitely. Well, that that interview was really great. There was a couple of things that I had to leave out because, just for time constraints, and uh, some of it was um, he had come into left out Lamont after I left the band and how he played with them for a while, and how he his his idea was to have like one band would be touring the other one would be preparing to record and so he had this sequence that he wanted to have going with three different bands but it just doesn't quite work that way yeah what is he up to now musically so american professionals they they put out an, an album last year um they're doing lots of stuff he's also in that another band where he plays bass that's chuck 
We had our first international interview, which is again another one where I sent some questions. This guy named uh, JP Kaleo. He's in Dublin, Ireland, and uh, he's got a little punk band going out there. Uh, he really talked about a, the do-it-yourself attitude and what he's trying to achieve with his band. And uh, really, really cool guy and uh, interesting interview. Uh, and then we had uh, an episode called River Train, August 2011, with uh, Crystal Monet Hall. And she's an amazing uh, folk and rocker. She's uh, done background vocals for Elton John. Uh, she's doing her own thing. Now the Crystal Monet Hall band, uh, putting out her own stuff. Uh, really cool interview, and she's been doing some really cool things uh, lately. And then uh, this is the the next one is with uh, Kate Knox. This is a Bob Fest interview. This is the first one that Eric did. Mm. Talk about that. Well, uh, Bob Fest is actually happening again this coming summer, I believe. Yeah, 2015 in Bremen. And Bob Fest is what exactly? Bremen, Oakland, Bath United. So it's it's uh, punk bands from well, it was punk bands from Bath, England, Bremen, Germany. And Oakland, California. It's it's broadened its scope a bit since then, but it was designed f so that there was a community of punk bands that tended to be more political in nature, and just a group of friends that connected through that. And this festival is spawned that happens every couple of years now, and still going. Pretty amazing. And how did you meet Kate? Kate was the first person I ever met in California. She was a friend of a friend who uh, she was there to pick me up at the airport and. I got off the plane. She said, are you Eric? And I said, yeah. She said, I'm Kate. And she gave me this huge hug and, okay, come with me. And that's how we met. And we've been great friends ever since. Very cool. And she took me out to Oakland to a little place called Little Arkansas, <laughs> where I met the Grimples and Iconochrist and yep. went to the neighborhood liquor store and we commenced, commenced drinking. And I <laughs> actually wound up, I passed out and apparently slept through the entire welcome party. Oh, really? It was a party for me that I never actually was conscious for, and apparently it was quite nice. And uh, you on the couch in like the center of the room. I don't remember anything. I just remember that I literally remember Kate driving to Oakland, going to the liquor store, drinking a whole lot very quickly, falling asleep, and then waking up probably about two or three in the morning. And the Grimples were sitting on the couch looking back at me and. Then we became friends, so yeah, good memories. Yeah. The floor was always wet with beer. <laughs> and I don't mean like sticky wet. I mean like gushy wet, like <laughs> wet. Yeah. I want to jump in here, uh, and this is what's another cool thing about Music Live Radio is that we all have unique styles of interviewing. Eric has got a much more conversational style. I mean, you write down a few notes and stuff, mm. uh, but you interview people that you know or have already had just talks with for the most part, right? Not always. Not always, yeah. But I also, I try to take notes as, I'm, as they're talking. Yeah. And then I just kind of let ideas flow and see where it takes it. I try to map stuff out quite a bit in advance, I think. I write out all my questions and I send them to the person ahead of time. But what I guess the point is I'm trying to make is that it, it, the different approaches to uh, you know, asking people questions and stuff, and I think uh, it works out to have add some variety. I think it makes it more interesting, yeah. for sure. Yeah, exactly. What's your approach, Josh? I do quite a bit of research when I'm going to interview someone, uh, even so much as 
finding other interviews they had so that I don't ask the same questions they've already been asked before. I go ahead and write down questions. I Sometimes, most of the time, I've sent them to them ahead of time so that they can kind of get an idea the direction I'm going to go with questions and so that they're not just like having to think about it on the spot. Maybe they'll spend some more time with the question and, and think about it so that they can kind yeah. of have a better answer or a, a bigger answer for whatever I'm asking them. But I do also try and let things flow. And if something pops in my head while I'm doing the interview to go with it or just let them talk, there's been some interviews where I was just, let them go. I even There was even one where it seemed like he was answering the questions I had in my head at the time, but I didn't ever have to verbally say them. He just answered it, and I was like, oh, just let him go. Yeah, know? I've had those, you know, like Stephen to- Tobolowsky, he's such a storyteller. You kind of kick off the interview, and he just runs the whole way, all the way to the, you know, to the end zone and scores a lot of touchdowns. <laughs> uh, very cool. It, sometimes that approach, when I send a list of questions to people, causes problems, I've noticed, though. And it really depends on the personality of that person. Sometimes they really think too much into it, and they write all their answers. I've had one guy write all his answers out and send them to me, and I go, well, no, no, we're going to talk about this. You don't need to write them out and send them to me. <laughs> I, I think my approach, a lot of it just comes from being the interviewee so many times on radio and, and TV things where... I got used to kind of being put on the spot yeah. and asked some really, really random things <laughs> by some very random people. And I think for me, the, the not knowing is part of the fun. Yeah. The, it also makes me more present in the interview. Like if I, if I have some open-ended questions that I can start with and I have an idea of where we're going to go with this, I like that. But I also like that. If I, if I have too much of an idea what's going to happen, I might not be as present as I want to be also. Yep. Yep. There, is a, there can be a risk of uh, thinking ahead, uh, what's my next question, and uh, not, paying, not being as engaged sometimes. I've, I've run into that problem. The uh, next interview that we did, this is uh, October 2011. This was with Ron Schock. He's a comedian. He's also been involved in the music industry. He is the first person that I know of on the show that we've interviewed that has passed away. Uh, he was diagnosed with cancer maybe within about six months of the interview that we did. Uh, I've been in touch with his uh, wife, though, Rhonda Shock. She's out in Las Vegas, and uh, we're going to hear some updates from her now. Hello, Dan. Hi, Rhonda. How are you doing? I'm just fabulous. And yourself? Oh, I'm very well. Thanks for uh, being a part of this. We're just kind of reaching out to folks that we had on the show. And, of course, Ron can't be on the show, but we thought maybe it would be uh, fun to have you on the show and we could talk to you about what Ron meant to you, his legacy, uh, and then talk a little bit about yourself. Uh, One of the questions we like to ask people is, what does music mean to you? Well, I can tell you that music has played a huge role in my life. I've always been interested in music. My father was a big audiophile, and uh, he, you know, got us all music lessons at a very early age. My mother had a recording contract with RCA when she was 17, and my brother had sung professionally, and uh, nothing of note. But actually, it's a funny thing. Ron made, Ron actually went down to Austin and made a music video shortly before he uh, was diagnosed, right around the time he interviewed with you. And uh, it was 
hysterically funny to us because Ron's voice was frightening, and <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and he could not play an instrument. Um, but he was a huge music fan, and his producer of his one man sh- of his Showtime special and his one man show in L.A. is also Ringo Starr's producer and a number of other famous singers, producers, and bands. So he invited Ron to come down and do this music video, and it was an offer he couldn't refuse. So um, it was great fun, and uh, I am thrilled that he was able to do that. I always liked to have him do anything that was something he'd never tried before because we only get a a few minutes on the planet, and if we lived 10,000 years, we could never be and see and do all there is, you know? So um, any opportunity you get to try something new, go for it. And that's how Ron lived. His philosophy was, now is the only time, here's the only place. So, you know, make the most of it in the now. And as far as music in his life, he was a huge, huge audiophile. So he took a big chunk of money that he got from his first Showtime special and bought a state-of-the-art handmade stereo system with it, um, which I still have today. Oh, nice. He liked everybody, and his taste in music crossed all genres. But I would have to say his two favorite genres of music would have been the blues and rock and roll. And in particular, he was an absolutely rabid Stones fan. Uh, He went to every concert tour that they ever did, and a lot of them in the Bay Area. Um, Our first date was to a Stones concert. Oh, nice. (laughs) He had done a favor for another comic who did pyrotechnics for the Stones, and he got us VIP backstage passes to the Stones here in Vegas, and we had been courting, and uh, I was in Indiana at the time, and he said, you know, I know we're supposed to go to Grandma's for Thanksgiving, but here's the thing. I've got these VIP passes to the Stones in Vegas, you wouldn't want to go see the Stones, would you? And I said, let me see. Prince Charles gets backstage passes to the Stones. Let me make a call to my mom and cancel Thanksgiving. So <laughs> we went to the Stones, and I called my boss and said, I'm not going to be at work this week. I'm going to go see the Stones in Vegas. And I said, am I fired? And he said, no, can you get me a ticket? <laughs> oh, that's so, great. So that was our first date. I remember when uh, we were talking with Ron, he had mentioned something about Ringo Starr had get, gotten him tickets to show in Vegas as well. And you guys went to that one. Well, he, uh, he actually, as far as I know, he's the only person who's ever opened for Ringo Starr. Yes. And uh, he opened for Ringo Starr at Cedar's Palace uh, back in the 90s. Um, he had heard uh, Ron's debut CD and he thought he was the funniest man he'd ever heard. And he called him personally and said, I'd, I'd like for you to open for me. And Ron thought it was one of his friends. Of course, they're making a joke, yeah. <laughs> so he hung up on him. And um, so he called back and he said, please don't hang up on me. I really am Ringo Starr. And Ron said, yeah, you know what? Right, whatever. And he said, no, please. And Ron said, okay, what's your, <laughs> what's your phone number? Who's your agent? And he said, it's so-and-so. He said, no, he said, where are you? And Ringo Starr said, I'm in my agent's office in New York. And he said, what's your agent's name? And he said, Joe Smith or something. And Ron said, okay, I'll call you back. Stay there, I'll call you back. And Ron hung up and called his own agent in L.A. and said, who is Ringo Starr's agent? And he looked it up and told him. And he said, 
uh, what's his phone number? <laughs> and he told him. So he called back uh, Ringo Starr's agent, and he said, Oh, my God, Mr. Starr, I'm so sorry. <laughs> my friends are comics, you know. They like to play tricks. So anyway, so he said, well, um, so he, hoped, he opened for him. And then right around, and sometime in 2011, Ringo does an all-star, all-star tour every couple of years. And uh, he called Ron and said, hey, I'm going to be in town with my all-stars. Do you want to come see the concert? Ron asked, came in the bathroom and asked me, would you like to go hang out with Ringo Starr? Um, he's got a concert tonight. You want to go hang out? And I said, let me see. Hang out with the Beatles, fix the sink. <laughs> hang out with the Beatles, fix the sink. I said, okay, I- I'm in. So we went. We hung out with him backstage with him and uh, Johnny Winters and uh, the lead singer from The Men at Work and Gary Wright. We had an extraordinary time backstage. And then when he got ready to open the concert, he said, ladies and gentlemen, we have a legend in the audience with us tonight, the great Ron Shock. And he pointed over to where we were and had the light shine on us. And Ron sat there with his mouth open. <laughs> and I poked him and said, stand up, honey. And finally he stood up. And because Ringo wasn't moving until he stood up. So uh, that was a, and then he sat back down with tears in his eyes. And he looked at me and he said, I'm glad you were here to see this baby. And his producer told us later he's never seen him give a shout out to the stage before. Yeah, that's a extraordinary. <laughs> what a great honor for a great man, too, you know. <laughs> What a kind man. When Ron was sick, he made a video for us. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was, he, he's a lovely man. Well, Ron is survived by yourself, and he has some daughters as well, if I remember correctly. He has three daughters and one son, and one of his daughters is a writer. Um, she's got seven or eight bestsellers on Amazon for young adults, and she takes after his dad in that regard, and then his son does special effects for the movies, and his daughter-in-law that his son is married to is an editor. She's Emmy-nominated several times. And uh, so he runs in the family. I think even the dogs had a commercial, and I think I'm the only one in the family without a SAG card. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm the boring accountant. (laughs) The behind the scenes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I like it. I like it behind the scenes because when you're in a room with Ron Schock or any of his friends, you you just want to listen. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah exactly. You just, you just want to listen. Well, thank you very much, Rhonda, for taking a few minutes out of your day to uh, share some stories with us. I really appreciate it. You know, I'm honored that you thought to call me. All right. Thank you, Rhonda. Rock and roll, as Ron would have said. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Of course, Ron Shock is a very, very cool guy. He has got some of the best stories I've ever heard. And uh, that is a double-parter episode. You should check check it out. His legacy uh, lives on. Yeah, I, I actually saw him at uh, one of the comedy clubs. I think the Punchline in the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was just hysterical, and this yeah. was like probably sometime in the nineties. Yeah, yeah. And just just constant like laughter. It was just great. So when you had him on, uh, I really dug the interview, and was sad to hear that he he you know went on his way but hey there's lots of him recorded there is a lot to yes. enjoy a great american storyteller and uh there's a v- youtube video clip uh he spent some time in angola prison and he talks about 
has experience there. And it and there's a music aspect to that too. The prisoner singing uh, a very heavy, heavy subject of a very cool. This is uh, episode 45 back in November 2011 with uh, Brian Beller. And uh, this is a Josh interview. Talk about uh, what Brian's up to, if you know. Well, right now, Brian is on the road. Actually, he's playing in Shanghai probably at this very moment oh, with wow. the band, his band, the Aristocrats, uh, with Marco Miniman, who's an amazing drummer, and Guthrie Govan, uh, also an amazing guitar player. These guys met at uh, the NAM show, I think that same year yeah. that I interviewed him. And people were like, and they were just, it, there was a guitar player that was supposed to be there. And Guthrie Govan showed up. Like it, it worked out that they yeah. had him instead. People heard them playing together and were so blown away by it that they're like, "You guys have to be a band." Yeah, so yeah. through that, they oh. became a group, and they've done. They um, put out another album last year, um, and Brian Beller's also been on the road touring with uh, Satriani for this past. I don't know the past. That's year. right. I do remember he played um, uh, with him. Also with Miniman. And so they're continuing, and he's do, he does also metal apocalypse, metal apocalypse. Yeah. I don't know how do you pronounce it. Yeah, Adult Swim, I guess. Cartoons. Yeah, he's yeah. he's in the the <laughs> band yeah. that plays the songs when they go out of the, the, the album or something. Super yeah. Cool. yeah, with uh, Brandon band. Smalls. Is that the guy? Yeah, that's behind yeah. Him? yeah, yeah. Very cool. <laughs> and then uh, we did an interview. Eric did an interview with a uh, punk legend. Bill Collins. Bill is uh, doing a tremendous amount. He's back in the Bay Area, and he's actually playing a special reunion, a special forces reunion, pretty soon as a benefit for Fraggle, who passed away recently. And uh, Bill's been teaching guitar, actually giving lessons at Gilman Street, free lessons. Oh, that's awesome. Which yeah. is super cool <laughs> and basic. That's given back doing, right there. It is, <laughs> and he's basic. I mean, if you if you're in the Bay Area, and you're looking for some free lessons, go down to Gilman. I, I don't know the night, but yeah, he's down there a couple times a month, and he's basically teaching you know, three-chord punk songs to, to anybody who wants to learn them. Just bring your guitar, and and he'll he'll do it. It's all, very, very cool. And, and he's somebody who's always fun to watch because he's always got a lot of irons in the fire, and he's somebody who can play everything from labor songs to irish folk tunes to punk rock to country and he can play it he can teach it and he's just actually got something published too recently i don't recall the oh, he was on the, he had a song on the enlightened tv series yeah he's been getting some uh, of the, yeah he's been just really a guy who's got his fingers and everything and one of the nicest people you can and he's in a book too. too right isn't that yeah, yeah published as author yeah uh the next episode we did with a guy named greg inhofer he's a musician out in uh Minneapolis, uh, this episode called Upright Walking, another uh, keyboard player. And uh, this guy played on Bob Dylan's Blood in the Tracks album. He was the keyboard player for half that album and uh, has some really awesome stories. He also played in a band, I think they were called Special Forces, with Jesse Ventura. Oh, God. When he was doing his wrestling thing, he went out on the road and did this metal thing of some, uh. some sort. It was, uh, I'm sure it was very entertaining. <laughs> and this song is about the conspiracy of... <laughs> he didn't have any tracks, unfortunately. Or maybe uh. fortunately. But uh, And of course, he's got his own uh, solo career going. He put some amazing... 
musicians together. They do a tribute to John Lennon every year. Uh, awesome songwriter and uh, great guy. The uh, next interview we did in December 2011, that was with, uh, we called this one Dobro Dave Dalton. And, of course, Dave Dalton, another punker, has been in the scene <laughs> for quite some time. Very interesting uh, person. And he's uh, got a lot of irons in the fire as well. What's he up to these days? I think everything. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you can be doing it, he's doing it. I was, it's, it's, I, it's hard to follow, but I believe he's doing the Unfortunate Bastards now. That's the group. That's his main group at the moment. He's doing any number of side projects. Also working, I think, Hella Mad Records, doing some releases with them. So keep him very, very busy. Yeah. Uh, January 2012, I got the opportunity to interview Steve Moriarty. He is, uh, actually was a drummer in the studio where we uh, practiced all together. And I did not know who he was until I think you did the interview with Chuck. And he mentioned that they had Steve Moriarty from the Gets, who was in a band called the Gets, and I'm like, holy shit! I'm from Seattle. I know the band, the Gets. I I'm a fan. I didn't know that we were in the same studio with him, and of course, then I tracked him down, and he agreed to do an interview. So the Gets is this amazing punk band that started out in the Midwest and uh, moved to uh, I think Ohio, right? Yeah, they were from I think Akron, Ohio, and then moved out to the Seattle area in the early '90s. In a, me as a part of the singer was uh, murdered, raped and murdered uh, in the 90s and uh, very tragic. And I remember being in Seattle and hearing that on the radio uh, when I was out in Seattle and just going, holy moly. And uh, there's, a, of course, a documentary on the Gets, talks all about their career. And uh, this was a double episode. Uh, we play a lot of great songs from the Gets, and you know, talk to him about the other projects, music projects, and stuff he's been involved with. And uh, Steve is still, you know, he's married to a drummer, so his wife is a drummer, and they, I think they have about twelve to fifteen drum sets in their house. <laughs> and they will probably have kids who are drummers in too. It's uh, kind of a given, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then uh, we had uh, our first opera singer, Ben Bongers, on the program right after that. Ben's been doing some amazing stuff. He actually got to play China. Yeah. And the woman who won the equivalent of Chinese Idol in China had heard him sing when she was over here at the San Francisco Opera House. And I don't even think he was singing a show. He was just there rehearsing. And she liked him so much that when she won... Is she said I, that's one of the people she wanted to go on tour with her, and so that is amazing. Story. He got to play the Bird's Nest in China from the uh, the, uh, the Olympic Stadium. After playing that, he was hanging out in a German beer hall in Beijing, <laughs> and the president of China actually came down and personally and met him. Yeah, wow, and which is you know just huge. I mean, absolutely huge, and and he said that was abs incredible, incredible experience, and. And uh, I remember one of the funniest parts of that whole experience for him was they, they were going to do a photo shoot deep, deep in a rural area of China. And he had to get just about every vaccine <laughs> that has ever been created for anything under the sun. And that poor guy, that what he suffered to take a 15-minute photo shoot. But you know, he had just the most amazing time over there and doing some really great work and he said it was the largest picture he'd ever seen of his head anywhere because it was this was 
I mean, it's it's hard to imagine, but this was just a huge, huge concert all over China. Yeah. And I think he's getting ready to go back on the road again soon. So I think, I'm not sure if he's going back to Europe or what he's going to be doing, but always doing some really interesting things. Yeah, very cool guy. I remember he got to do an acapella number in the in the my old place where we did the interview. <laughs> just earth-shattering power behind that voice. Amazing. The uh, next interview, number uh, 52 was an architect of sound. This is a person I know uh, that worked at the uh, SF Public Library, and uh, we got permission to reproduce this uh, a podcast that the library did, and it was about uh, how the construction of a room can affect the sound, and I thought it was very interesting. It was probably uh, a bit on the technical side, not a lot of story or life to it, but it was very interesting if you're interested into that and that type of stuff. Uh, I, th- I thought it was very interesting. Then we moved on to Piano Stories with uh, Richard Goldsworthy. That was an interview that Josh did. Yeah, Richard is a good friend of mine. You know, It was great talking to him. He was the one who... I was going to ask him a question, but he answers it before I even said it. And we're Skyping across the Pacific and just it's just amazing to you know kind of give him a few questions and let him go and I just I really enjoyed that interview and the whole process of doing it um, some of the things he's been up to I guess that album uh, that he had put out at that point lifted had he sold over 10,000 copies in Australia uh, as well as he's had strong sales on it on iTunes and Amazon uh, he's working on another album, and so he's been doing really well, and he wanted to congratulate us on the 100th episode. All right. Um, so he didn't give me any more crocodile or shark stories, though. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, that's, that was always my favorite little thing about that that episode was the fact that that you put the the, the extra mp3 that people could go listen to where yeah. he, he tells the story about how he was closely or could have been eaten by a crocodile when he was a kid as well as the one where there was a croc that you know was on the runway they had to shut the airport down hmm. but if you live out in australia you got to have some stories like that right i imagine so in uh, the same year march 2012 i got a chance to interview Steve Ritchie and Steve Ritchie is a pinball game designer, a fascinating guy. Uh, he also, and he was just working on the ACDC pinball game right around that time. He had been out of work for a while, but went back to Stern, which is the only company still making pinball games in the United States. It's a, not a completely dead art, but almost, uh, but he is still on the forefront and uh, making some great games. Uh, and he's also a coast guardsman. Stationed out in Vietnam uh, as a Loran uh, radio station uh, electronics technician. So he said he was probably one of the only people that got to serve in Vietnam in an air-conditioned room the entire time (laughs) because they had to keep the electronics cool. Oh, man. (laughs) Uh, And he was also on the first hovercraft that the Coast Guard had. So pretty neat. He played in a bunch of uh, rock bands in San Francisco and uh, eventually ended up working at Atari in 1976 and has basically been working in video games. He did the voices on a bunch of the Mortal Kombat characters. Oh, very which cool. Which is really neat. Uh, really cool guy. And then 
Episode 5556 was with Jeff Robinson of the band Blood Circus. This is one of those awesome grunge bands from the uh, mid-80s to late-80s, 90s. And these guys were tremendously talented, and they kicked up some awesome tunes. Uh, I actually just bought their uh, album Primal Rock Therapy on red vinyl. It's like one out of a thousand copies uh, that are in existence, and it's super cool. I'm really getting into it again uh, on the vinyl this time. And uh, Jeff, amazing storyteller. He tells some great road stories. This band just kind of didn't have that element of luck needed to make it big, you know? Uh, He tells a great story about being on the road uh, and just a lack of uh, support from the, the label at the time. Uh, but anyway, I was able to touch base with Jeff. He's doing really well, and uh, let's hear what he has to say. Hey, Jeff, uh, thanks for being a part of the 100 episode for Music Life Radio. I'm glad you're uh, able to be on the program. Thank you. It's an honor, man. Thanks. So what's going on with uh, Blood Circus since we last talked? Well, um, I actually uh, took our, our analog tape masters, actually the original source recordings from Reciprocal, and I took them to our original producer, uh, Chris, and uh, he runs a studio now of his own. Uh, he does uh, a lot of mastering work. He, he actually does video. Uh, he also, you know, regular band recording, just as he did at Reciprocal. Chris Hanzik, uh, his, his uh, studio is called Hanzik AV. And anyway, I got together with him, and I took the original source tapes, uh, there was uh, five boxes of uh, one-inch 16-track reels and uh, some uh, half-inch eight-track reels. Uh, there were a couple of those, and then there were a couple of quarter-inch uh, mastered, uh, which I think is what they used for sub-pop, uh, to give the sub-pop so that sub-pop could create. Well, anyway, what, what we did is, is uh, we pulled some of the uh, second takes and the outtakes and uh, we're in the process of uh, digitizing the whole catalog. Uh, Chris is doing a, a great job of remastering uh, the whole catalog. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. That's awesome. Well, we, as a group, we don't have a lot of communication because we're scattered to the four winds now. But uh, I've kind of taken the lead. I created the, the website. Uh, I managed the Facebook page. I I handle all the T-shirt sales. We have a, a a pretty strong Facebook page. Uh, we've got no oh, close to twelve hundred likes on the Facebook page, which I'm very proud of. The likes part, I'm, I'm not super proud of the Facebook page. I love handling it. T-Man and Michael chime in occasionally. I stay in contact with them pretty regularly. Uh, Doug, uh, his wife had a a, a medical issue. And Doug's attentions have been directed towards his wife and his family. Uh, but she's doing fine. Yeah. This happened in February of this year. Anyway, uh, we're hoping to get the uh, redigitized material mastered. And then we will release the performances that weren't under the Sub Pop Publishing Company. And uh, we will release it probably through Facebook, through our website, and we'll just sell copies uh, to our fan base, which is considerable, uh, particularly in South America. 
uh, a lot in Belgium, uh, Germany, and in the United States, of course. That's kind of what Blood Circus is, where Blood Circus is at. I've been kind of doing most of all of that. I, I created a, the web page, the bloodcircususa.com. And uh, my family's doing good. My, my kids are getting bigger. Uh, I have two boys, and uh, they grow out of tennis shoes probably about once every three months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know, we load the refrigerator up with groceries, and they're gone uh, in two or three days. <laughs> So we're doing that, and uh, uh, I'm still in school. I'm, I'm uh, in grad school and software engineering. I'm still working the same job. I'm an outside uh, territory salesman for a, a utility manufacturer's rep, a waterworks utility. Yeah, okay. My ultimate goal is uh, to, which I'm actually, I have two partners, and we're working on a startup company and then ultimately sell the startup company and retire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a, a good goal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's still, I'm still in grad school. I'm still in, I've got my capstone coming up for winter quarter, Master of Science and uh, Software Engineering. Very cool. Have you been doing any uh, music on your own, uh, any blues or anything like that? Yeah, I actually, I'm uh, working on a body of material right now, probably about eight tracks, you know, doing from my PC studio. I have a kind of a little studio in my office that I have a couple of good mics and uh and then uh I got a couple of drummers in mind that I was thinking about sending some of the tracks to uh to offer uh maybe some drum accompaniment to, but it's um, I do basic guitar and vocals. And uh it's, uh, you know, I'm kind of falling back on my southern, it's a little kind of quasi-psychedelic, I call it, uh, let's see, what do I call it? Psychobilly. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I'm doing for myself, and my sons are, you know, my youngest son's kind of a pretty good guitar player for a 10-year-old, uh, and uh, they've taken piano lessons, uh, we have a drum kit in the house, uh, you know, we do off. We, I'm not putting any pressure on them. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, nothing would make me happier than to have a band with us two guys. I mean, <laughs> I, I guess that's probably a lot of dad's dreams that have kids <laughs> who kind of take a liking to music that ultimately, you know, literally you'll be in a band. But I'm not, I have to really restrain myself to, to keep from pressuring them into something like that. I want them to take it on at their own speed. Well, uh, thanks a lot, uh, Jeff, for being able to talk about Blood Circus and what's going on in your life. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, Dan. I really enjoy your show. I enjoy all of the artists that have contributed to it. It's, uh, it's a really great thing you're doing, and my hat's off to you. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks again. Thank you, Dan. Uh, Spock's Beard, Dave Maros, you did an interview. with. Uh... Yeah, that was fun to, to, to get to the point where I could get them on the show um i've been a fan of them ever since i heard their music i'd heard their name for years and yeah. years and it's like spock's beard that's oh, an interesting name so they took it from that an episode of star trek where spock had a a goatee or rather a van gogh yeah or van dyke van whatever dyke. The, and and it, he was like evil spock 
they're a prog band. They're really great. They're working on their next album, which I think is their, I don't know, 11th, 12th, 13th studio album, something like that. They just, they were on a, um, the cruise, they were on oh, a prog yeah. cruise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great for me to do that interview because I was a fan of him as a player, uh, as well as the band. And I think really that was like the first one where I felt like a little bit of, not so much like, you know, starstruck or whatever, but like, oh, this is this is like, you know, I'm an actual fan of this band and, and really liked their music for a long time and I'm getting to talk to them. So that was really great to be able to do that. Very cool. The next person we interviewed was a guy named Robert uh, Pilkey and he actually uh, is an author and he wrote a, a book, a philosophy book called Rock Music and American Culture. And I got to talk to him about the philosophy of rock and roll. And it's a very interesting read and interview. Um, so check that one out. Um, Kathy Peck from here. We had uh, Kathy over, talked about here and uh, her punk band, The Contractions, who did a reunion not that long ago, uh, pop up every now and then. Talk about the great work that they do at here. Hearing Education Awareness for Rockers. Um, and they just had a fun drive. I believe it contributed a little bit of money to that. I Not do. much, but... Uh, Very good work. Yeah. Uh, Very important work. Yes, yes. Save our hearing. Uh, one of the stories that she tells is how she suffered some hearing damage. Uh, when their band was on the road, they opened up for Duran Duran, and she suffered hearing damage not from the la- the speakers, but from the screaming women in the audience. Uh, they're so <laughs> high pitched and screaming that they damaged her hearing. Uh, very funny story. Well, tragic, I guess. Really, not funny in some ways if you're sick and twisted like me, and tragic <laughs> if you actually are suffering the hearing damage. Well, they were a handsome band <laughs> back in the day. I mean, I. And then we had uh, Travis Larson band. Uh, Josh did the interview. With that prog, another prog band. Yeah, they're they're from the San Luis Obispo area. Um, they're working on they're on tour right now, and may even be touring somewhere in California. Um, I ran into them. At, I went to after the Brian Beller interview happened. Brian Beller played in the city, and Travis Larson band opened for them, and at Biscuits and Blues, and I was floored at how great they were. They were a trio. It was all you know. It's the rock fusion stuff. And I think I emailed him that night and said, Hey, can I interview you? And then it took another, you know, six months to square down the time. Yeah. And, and, um, but there, he's really nice guy. Great interview. Uh, amazing guitar player. He recently had a guitar get broken by United Airlines. <laughs> and he couldn't believe how it was broken. The amazing thing about it, because he's in San Luis Obispo, yeah. he was able to take his guitar back to Music Man, and the guy who designed it was, yeah. I don't know if he was the one who repaired it, but yeah, yeah. He, the guy who designed it, he had conversation with him about like how much force it would actually take to break that guitar. <laughs> and they couldn't figure out how it had happened. But Well, they're pretty creative in uh, ways they <laughs> yeah. can break things in the airline industry. <laughs> That's not the first guitar I've heard been broken on an airline. The uh, next interview I did with uh, in August 2012 was with uh, Penelope Houston, of course, from the punk band The Avengers. This was a real honor, and uh, I was glad that she could come out and do it, and uh, it was super cool. 
She's like, I've got an hour exactly. Let's do it. And we did it, and it was perfect. Of course, she's done a lot of solo recordings with her own uh, project, and we got to listen to a lot of that music and hear stories about how her music's evolved over the the ages and and how it really didn't catch on that well in the United States, but she was really big in Germany, uh, enough so that she sold enough records, you know, to buy a house and stuff out here and, and do pretty well for herself. And then she also talks about working at the San Francisco Public Ra- uh, Library as a technician there. Some inside stories, you know, that I probably never would have heard about uh, from her. Uh, then we had a uh, awesome interview with uh, Jack Conte. Jack Conte, yeah. Um, his group with his, his girlfriend, Natalie Dawn. Pomplamoose, they just yeah. put out a new album. They're about to go on tour. He did, I got to see him play live. Um, well, he was basically just jumping around on stage and playing his music, but yeah. it was, it was, the place was packed, um, brick and mortar in the city. And it was just a fun thing. It was, he was doing the electronic dance music, which is something I've never been into, <laughs> but, but, uh, bigger than ever though, but exactly. And, uh, enjoyed the night and enjoy and i've enjoyed the stuff that he's been doing he he put out an ep uh and then on the heels of that he launched patreon.com which was um basically it's it's kind of like kickstarter in a way but this is where you you essentially if you like an artist you could contribute you can become a patron to them by you know, saying I'll give you a dollar for each one of your videos that you're going to create, or a yeah. hundred dollars, or whatever amount you want to pledge, and then that allows the artist to be able to ha- have this income that they can then, you know, work on their creativity with oh, either the next yeah. album or whatever. And it was he put this out, and it was huge. It's been it's it's done really well, and um, Patreon.com. Yeah, another example of somebody giving back something. Uh, this is a guy, if I remember, he really got quite famous with just making these YouTube videos about how he was recording his music and putting them up online and really at pretty low cost. But uh, obviously, a lot of people dug it and got into it, and uh, he's gone on to really great things. Uh, let's see. The next one we had was with uh, Dominique Leone. Oh, that was another one yeah. that I did. Um it's interesting. That was a really roundabout way of how I came to to meet that person. I heard about this group called the Cardiacs from an interview from Jim Godfrey, who's the brother of Simon Godfrey, who I let, later interviewed. And he mentioned this group, the Cardiacs, and they're like a punk prog band out of the UK. And at some point, I looked them up on Facebook or something, and this guy was doing a uh, a benefit for Tim Smith, who's the singer, songwriter, creator of the Cardiacs. You know, it was like a benefit because he's not well and uh, hasn't been for a number of years. So Dominic was doing this benefit in San Francisco at Cafe du Nord with all Cardiac songs and had all these different artists come in and play the songs. And I went down and, and watched it. And was, you know, was, some of the groups were better than others, but it was really great to hear some of this music. Uh, it's very difficult music, I think, to play. So I briefly met him maybe at that show, but then I later followed up, and he's been doing a lot of different things. Um, right now, I guess he's he's working on moving back to New York. Um, he's going to be doing a new record with a big ensemble. 
an 11 piece. And earlier this summer, he went to Europe. He played in Fred Firth's Gravity Band. And he's planning to do that again next spring. In October, he's playing a benefit for the David Lynch Foundation in New York, along with J.G. Thurwell and Soft Pink Truth. I like his music. He does classical stuff as well as he does what you'd consider prog, but I've always thought of prog as like, you know, the Yes, Rush, that sort of thing, the prog rock, whereas the stuff he's been into is more, um, it's more electronic, and but it's really amazing music. So it was great to interview him. That interview, though, that was when I sat on for like six months. I interviewed him and then I didn't edit it for a long yeah. time and it was <laughs> funny because going back to it I was like oh there's really not a whole lot here <laughs> there was things he was talking about that he was going to be doing and they were yeah. like way in the past at that <laughs> point and I was like oh sorry man <laughs> well the next one we did was with a band called the Yeskos a local band uh, their singer actually is uh, one of the female singers in the current version of the Victims and here she is, Sophie Vogel of both Yeskas and the Victims. This is a new victim song titled Electric High. interview um, with a local punk band. I did another interview with Antonia Vai, uh, who is a Swedish musician. This was another one where I sent the questions over to her, and she sent back uh, the recorded interview, and it, she's kind of the, the album was called Bohemian Soul Diva, which was kind of how she described herself, kind of a folk rock uh, Swedish uh, personality, and uh, very cool, very cool music. Uh, and then uh, a, a kind of a milestone for Music Life Radio, back in November 2012, we interviewed Alexandra and the Starlight Band, and we also had East Bay Express come over and do a story about what we do on the podcast. Uh, pretty cool story. It was a very cool story, and uh, I appreciated them taking time out to come over and, uh, and do a little write-up. So we got a little write-up, a little press. The next one was the... Uh, Herman Laura. Herman's someone I went to high school with. Known him for a lot of years. I haven't seen him except for that one time when he came to my house to, to discuss music. And 
it was, you know, it had been 20 years since I'd seen him. He went to Berkeley. He had all these stories. Uh, he's played with all sorts of people in the jazz scene. He's a great saxophone player. And it was strange because I always thought, I always remembered him in high school as being someone who played trumpet, but I was completely wrong about <laughs> yeah. that. Um, he did an album that he financed himself, and it's good jazz music. Turns out he knows another friend of mine uh, who's in the salsa jazz scene in San Francisco. It's another guy I went to high school with. And it's funny that it was like, oh, they know each other. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> because It's because that whole scene is kind of small. Kind of small, yeah. Um, he's a good guy. And the, yeah, and so he knew, or John, John Montanga knew him from Berkeley. Yeah, I do remember that connection. Uh, let's see. Next up, well, th- this is another highlight for me. I got to, again, it's kind of interesting how many people I've been able to get in touch with and actually do an interview when I really had no idea if I'd be able to get him. But uh, Kurt Vanderhoof was always a little bit of a hero of mine. And, he, of course, he was in uh, Metal Church, which was a, a band that I was really into uh, back in high school and stuff. And he's gone on to do um, several projects. In fact, I didn't even know, but he was in the band The Lude, which uh, we played with. Gunpowder's played with this band. One of my all-time favorite yeah. bands. I yeah. have the vinyl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kill Yourself was the first uh, release that they did, and we feature that on the show. And uh, American Wine Up by The Lude is one of the best yeah. punk albums ever. Yep, and he wrote some songs on that, but I don't think he played on it at that point. But um, mm-hmm. he, he moved back up to Seattle and did uh, Metal Church and got some really cool highlights into what he's doing. He's doing progressive music now, actually, with his band Presto Ballet, which is really cool. If you haven't checked out that, you probably would really like it. It's uh, very interesting. He got some great vocalists. He does. There's a lot of keyboard stuff on there, uh, and it's it, it basically he's modeling it after like Kansas and Yes and some other mm-hmm. really cool progressive rock stuff. And then another really cool person, Bucky Sinister, we had on the show. Well, I've been friends with Bucky for many years. I've known Bucky for a long time, and and it was Bucky had written. He's a he'd been a poet for a long time and yeah. he actually wrote a poet poem recently that he performed, I think at a wake. And he started out as the worst thing you can ever say to somebody is I just wrote a new poem. Would you like to hear it? <laughs> Which was a great icebreaker at a wake because yeah. people were depressed, but he got them laughing. Cause if you think about it, yeah, that is about the worst thing you could ever say to somebody is want to read my new poem. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> was, yeah, exactly. Most people just cringe at the thought of it, but but he wrote a, an incredible book on uh, recovery for atheists based on the 12-step model, which was really, really powerful, <laughs> powerful book, and has been doing a lot of comedy since then. And I actually, it's, it's funny because I, I recently, in one of the classes I teach, I took a poem of Bucky's, NASCAR and Nothingness, I took a gunpowder song, and I took a song by a contemporary rock band, Linkin Park, and I didn't say who any of these were at first. I said, I, w- I was using an example of, the Lincoln Park, I was using an example of what not to do. Yeah, yeah. And I said, I, I know some of you are going to be upset by this example, but I started reading the lyrics and something to the effect is, I have a feeling it's strong, it gets stronger, it's even, st-. I mean, it just kept going on. Like, and it was so boring. And my students like, oh, I, that's one of my favorite bands. I'm like, yeah, but it is pretty lame, isn't it? They're like, 
yeah, that is really bad. <laughs> and then I read some of our lyrics. I didn't say what that was. And I read Bucky's NASCAR Nothingness. I'm like, this is what I want you to be able to do. And they were the students were just yeah. wow. Great poetry from him, and uh, yeah, yeah he's, so his comedy team is called The Business, and they feature a lot of, uh, and they're, I mean, they just, they're still doing stuff today, and he's very active in the comedy scene in San Francisco. Well, one of the things I like, just a quick mention on Bucky also, is he's not just incredibly edgy and funny, but he's also very socially aware and conscious, and so you might not just get entertained, but you might actually learn something, which is the extra bonus. Yeah. Then I uh, interviewed a guy named Randy Walker, uh, who performs under the moniker Carletta Sue K. And it's kind of like a, at first you think of a drag performer, but. Uh, that was a great interview. Yeah, that was, really that was a interesting, great piece. Yeah. Very interesting. You know, just growing up in a dysfunctional family and being able to uh, rise above that and pursue this art that, you know, it definitely is not a mainstream thing. And, uh, I, I I was actually really blown away by the music too. I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing, and uh, this is somebody that totally transcends or goes beyond what I could even imagine possible. Uh, you just have to hear it and see it to believe it. Uh, there's a great performance that he did at the uh, American Music Hall, and it's just oh, it's so good, really, really powerful. Again, that's an, something that I love about music live radio is we can bring in people that maybe people haven't heard of. But if you heard, if you hear the music that's coming from this individual, you just really captivated by it and uh, fascinated by the story as well, the backstory of this person. Incredible talent. Yeah, yeah. Then uh, we had Michael Starita. Michael Starita. Yeah, he was someone I met. I met him through. Okay, so there was one. And Eddie Kaipo. Eddie Kaipo was the, the engineer who did the Left Out Lamont recordings. And then he was in a band, Orisha, and the drummer, his brother, Juan, he had something going on at this studio. And um, I met Starita through there. I think it's Faultline Studios, yeah, maybe. Yeah, Faultline Studios. Anyway, he was a very personal one. He, you know, he's a good guy, and he's from the South, and... I always thought, I was like, I, I think it was one of those times on, on Facebook where I said something like, who wants to do an interview? And he was yeah. the one who said something. Uh-huh. So it was interesting. I and mean, he's been he's been doing a lot of stuff. He's an engineer and a producer. Um, two records he worked on were nominated last year for Grammys. Yeah. One of them won a Grammy. Not too shabby. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's still doing lots of different things. I had the opportunity to interview uh, Far Eye Shields, a folk musician, been playing out here for years and years, also involved in the in the green movement, and a uh, really cool guy. Uh, he was on the program, he played some songs. He's another one of these guys that's multi-talented, that's involved in all sorts of stuff, uh, and just an amazing heart, and is just out to make the world a better place. Uh, so we were glad to have him on the program. Um, I did another one of these. I got a, I you know get requests from folks to do interviews, and this one guy, he's like, I got all these artists. Uh, why don't you interview all of them? And I was like, Well, I don't know if I could interview all of them, but how about this? Let's try this. Let's. Uh, I'm going to send you some questions you can ask your artists to record their responses. Uh, we'll pick three of them, 
And uh, that one was interesting. So we had three country musicians. Uh, we got to feature their music, Rose, Briny, and Milner. And uh, that's so that was interesting. We hadn't had any country people on the show, not just true country. And these are actually, most of them are uh, actually Canadian country musicians, which is fairly interesting. Uh, then um, I had Kyle Terezi on the show. Uh, he went under the moniker Plastic Arts, but he's really just a folk musician. Uh, and now he's actually switched over and he's going by his own name. And performing again, and he's performing around you know local coffee shops and clubs. He's played at uh, Bottom of the Hill a few times, opening up for some uh, some talent. Um, he has a podcast. I think it's called Shut Up Musicians or something like that, uh, <laughs> which is uh, the title grabs you. And uh, but it's a, just an interview show with different musicians, and uh, he features videos as well. Uh, um, and he's giving back some to the community. Very cool. Next one we had is uh, with uh, Lenny Breedlove. Mm. That was just one of my favorite interviews. Yeah. I, I think uh, Lenny and I have always had a special connection. We, we share the same birthday. Yeah. And it was, uh, she's somebody I've always had so much respect for because she's always so involved and always giving back and just constantly creative. And I, 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 I love when we live in an age of false images like companies like Uber and Lyft who say we're all about sharing and we're all about giving as people become billionaires mm -hmm. and they squeeze out the taxi drivers and, and they're breaking unions. And you have somebody like Lenny who's actually really all about sharing and creating something like Homobiles that is, if you can give us something, give us something. If you can't, don't. Yeah. But if you could share something with somebody else, do that. Uh. And it's really, her foundation is love and service. Their foundation is libertarian greed. <laughs> and I wish when people talk about a sharing economy, they would use somebody with her ethics and morals and her track record as an example. And so she's somebody who's just always an inspiration to me because she 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 lives what she preaches. And she just did something, I don't know if they're gonna do any more, but she did a a one-off where some of her old bandmates got together with her and they did a basically let her rant and played behind her and it, she described it as her dream band she was like yeah that's really all i ever wanted was just to be able to kind of go crazy on stage and have a band follow me and so who knows we might get some more of that so but yeah lenny's doing some amazing work that was a great interview where they talked about the band tribe eight and how they were just comics on the mic and they were all vying oh. for attention and uh, very interesting so i could see that going now she was also working on a book i believe right she's still with her uh, mom yeah she's still working on the book and I, I think she's got her fingers in quite a few different little projects yeah. but very very active very prolific this one was followed by uh the monster show with cookie dough and dj mc squared which was a, a fun interview they're a huge part of the san francisco scene and and you know they're they're one example of of uh incredibly vibrant drag scene their creativity is absolutely outstanding and and one of the things I always think of with Cookie Dough is when we were going to play a show with them and when Gunpowder was playing and we were going to dress up and and she's like, just dress up as men in dresses and, and don't even bother trying to do drag. I'm like, well, why? She's like, because you can't. <laughs> You're just not drag queens. You're men in dresses and that's okay and that's what we want. Is, but it was really cool to kind of just, okay, that's what we're doing here. But really just amazing work and 
so vibrant and going strong in the city. Yeah, they're still doing shows and uh, good stuff. Let's see. Next up is uh, the Bandit of Kabul, Jerry Beisler. Uh, this is a guy that uh, was involved with the San Francisco music scene back in the late 60s, early 70s. Knew Jerry Garcia, knew some of these other players. Uh, talks about him in a book that he wrote, The Bandit of Kabul. He's uh, just put out another book called uh, The Berkeley Years. And uh, it was a great interview, and uh, I was able to follow up with him. So let's hear from uh, Jerry. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Jerry. How you doing? All right. Thanks again, uh, Jerry Beisler, for taking some time to tell us about what's going on with you. I know you've been working on um, some book deals uh, to continue the saga of the Bandit of Kabul. And uh, can you talk about your Berkeley book, for example? My Berkeley book is the uh, Berkeley Years and Best Of collection, which is 40 years of my writing. I wrote a lot of things freelance, but primarily from when I moved to Berkeley uh, and I wrote The Bandit of Kabul, I got a dozen or more major magazine articles with full color pictures and, and that kind of thing, and I combined all those with new poetry and the other 40 years of freelance stuff from first uh, attempt I made at a graphic novel uh, to uh, political articles, articles that came out in foreign countries and things like that. So, And the book is doing quite well. I did a very nice thing at Arhuli Records Down Home Music. The uh, famous Arhuli has about 750 uh, albums in their catalog, everything from Old Blues, Idaho, uh International, as you know it, uh, and uh, they do once a month a in-house performance, and they combine that with uh, my book release event, and that was real nice. Where is your book available? Book available at this point, um, since it is a big um, uh, magazine size book, and uh, it has all that color and was very expensive. Uh, to publish, uh, Regent Press, who handles all my uh, the Band of Kabul and, and other writings of mine, has it available only at regentpress.net. Uh, at Christmas time, it will come out in Barnes and Nobles and uh, Amazon and, and that. But right now, you can only order it from the publisher, regentpress.net. Cool. I also made a point, uh, Dan, this summer of kind of looking up all the stars that were still going strong on the cutting-edge television show since I'd closed it down in 2006. And I got out there and saw Jolie Holland, who, of course, is an international star. Tom Waits said uh, she's the greatest new voice of the 21st century. And uh, New Monsoon, who I uh, see in the strip ads from everywhere around uh, Northern California all the time. Sean Hayes, who uh, was covered recently by uh, Be Good Tanya's, uh, his song, A Thousand Tiny Pieces. I saw Shelley Doty, uh, who performed with Audrey Bruce, the bass player from the Jay Leno Tonight Show for 17 years, and a real uh, rollicking, uh, freeform thing that uh, was at the Freight and Salvage. Uh, of course, the phenomenon at Slim's, uh, Nero was at the Regency, one of the only Irish band we ever did on the 
cutting edge. Cool. Yeah. I, you're uh, calling me up to ask me about uh, uh, music and to reminisce a bit. Here are 100 shows. Again, you should be congratulated. 100 of anything is a major accomplishment. And I was just running down uh, in my mind after that uh, a lot of uh, great artists that I had a memorable exchange with, uh, an enlightening uh, artistic uh, genesis. The explanation of how they wrote a song or great road stories or, uh, as we might say, uh, what came out of sharing a meaningful cannabis experience. Sure. And uh, <laughs> some of those uh, uh, were um, Mike Bloomfield band played at uh, my ex-wife's 30th birthday up in uh, the Palms in Chico, California. The great Hart McNee walked the bar uh, playing his sax that day. Applejack, the harmonica player, Ron Bukovich was there. Bloomfield had broken his foot in an accident and had to sit in play. So I think that's the one reason the band kind of was more animated, shall we say. (laughs) (laughs) And then on the opposite end of the spectrum with my ex-wife, she... uh, threw a fit and told me I was crazy and out of my mind back in the uh, mid-80s when I booked a, quote, Mexican rock and roll band. Who ever heard of that? Los Lobos, who I'd heard down in uh, L.A., and by the time they actually played the gig, magically, they were headliners on Rolling Stone magazine and the feature article in People that week. That show ended up being reviewed as the, the greatest show in local history. Nice. Yeah. And a couple other odd ones uh, that came to mind was I had a, a did Hall and Oates back in the day, Sarah Smile and everything. But the, the interesting thing to that show was that Ken, a guy named Kenny Passarelli was on bass. Kenny uh, ended up playing a lot of Joe Walsh's solo stuff. He also played with Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and a great. A uh, guitar player from Jake, uh, from Jamaica, actually, although not out of the reggae scene, called Caleb Quayle was playing with Hall & Oates in those days. And he's most famous for his original, unique guitar work on Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting by Elton John. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I left out a couple groups from the old uh, Cutting Edge. I had to go back uh, now that they I, I crossed my mind. That would be Tea Leaf Green and uh, the New Monsoon. If I didn't mention them earlier, they should both be mentioned. They're in the strip ads from uh, everywhere around Northern California all the time. Those guys are always playing out in those two groups. Very cool. What's uh, next on the horizon for you? Are you working on a follow-up book? Uh, yes, I am. For publish- yes, I am. I'm, uh, I'm working on uh, the, my 60, uh, you know, 60s book, shall we say, uh, Hoosiers and Hippies. You'll see a first, I previewed the first couple chapters in the Berkeley Years and Best of Collection. And uh, I'm about three-quarters of the way through the 60s now, which, of course... Uh, uh, you know, it was such a broad uh, swing of everything from uh, from music that went to songs like Red Rubber Ball and, and all that junk to the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and the, the Dead and the whole 
Jimi Hendrix, you could go on and on from the beginning of that, uh, from that popular music at the beginning of the 60s to what it was at the end is probably as phenomenal uh, experiences as, it, you know, historically as you'll ever find. Yeah, very exciting. When do you think you'll be done uh, with that book? I hope that one will come out uh, about by about a year from now. I'm hoping I'm shooting for next summer. Well, that's excellent. Hey, uh, Jerry, thanks a lot for being part of uh, the 100th episode. Thank you very much for that, and I expect to be uh, on the 200th. Damn straight, yeah. <laughs> All the best, man. Bye-bye. All right, thanks. Bye. I interviewed a thrash metal band from Charlotte, North Carolina, called Final Curse. They asked to be interviewed. They were promoting the interview as, uh, oh, we have this horrible road story, our first tour we want to tell you all about. So I said, all right, let's, <laughs> let's do it. And it was really pretty, pretty amazing. Their trailer caught on fire, like, you know, within a couple of days of uh, their tour, they had to get their dads to come out and fund a replacement trailer and, and, and you know, and, and move on. And it was, it was pretty inter- entertaining. And those guys are still doing music i know a couple of the guys are playing in some other bands as well and uh, they're pursuing their art and their dream and uh it was a neat episode i don't remember the music but i remember loving that episode yeah <laughs> they this was the one that kind of like in the hot fog there was four of them on the mic uh you know telling stories and talking shit basically <laughs> <laughs> it was fun then we had a simon godfrey shine back which was a very good interview josh did Simon, yeah, from the UK, and yep. apparently now he's an American. Oh, really? <laughs> um, he's working on his next uh, Shineback album, and he's going to have guests on it, including Tom Hyatt of Echoland and Matt Stevens from The yeah. Fierce and the Dead. He's looking at a release sometime in next year, uh, early 2015. I enjoy talking to him. Uh, next up, uh, James Tracy. I wrote the book, Hillbilly Nationalists. Yeah, we used to play together a lot, doing a lot of benefits and stuff. And then he wrote a really amazing book about a little-known piece of history where there was a group in Chicago, basically poor Southern whites. And I'm making a long story very short because it's all in the, the interview, but connected up with the Black Panthers. And basically, it was a, one of the first times in our history where people moved past race as an issue and really started looking at economic issues as the, the, the great divider and, and how to work together and work past those issues. And, and there was a lot of pushback from a lot of power. And, and he's doing some amazing work now. He's actually just written a book that I haven't had a chance to read yet, but it's about uh, the displacement in San Francisco and the tech boom. And he's a big part of this group, they're working very hard to stop evictions in San Francisco, mm. and they've actually stopped some evictions, and they've had some really public victories, but where people are just being losing their homes left and right. I mean, even a big issue in San Francisco right now is, you know, this has been a gay mecca for a long time, and we now have a huge and growing elderly gay population that's homeless who, thanks to these evictions that have been basically pushed by the tech boom, are homeless and this is where they were going to spend their lives and and they're on the streets and he's part of a group that's been fighting that and he just wrote a book about that and and knowing his work in the past i i'm i have a feeling there's some good insights into this and 
and another person who took his his activism and and has basically made it his life and i just have really deep respect for what he does next up we uh interviewed zachary james of the all-seeing eyes band another uh great musician guitar player he's about eight feet tall well he's probably not that tall but he's well over (laughs) six foot five or so with his platform shoes on uh he's actually engaged to alexandra starlight which i talked about earlier and those two uh, were at the studio and uh, performed some live songs and it was a fantastic interview and those guys are doing great things they've got a studio that they've built in la and they're starting to do some um producing of their own uh and they have some uh, great stories to tell in that interview uh, then we had tao nguyen uh tao's doing again she's doing amazing performance work and i don't know if i can talk about what she's about to do because i don't think she's actually made it public yet so i can't that's fine but so she had she's a fortunate some- daughter which was her, her one uh person show uh that was uh, i didn't get a chance to see it did you did you Oh yeah, and yeah. it's it's one of those things. Is anytime I hear somebody doing a one person show, I kind of cringe. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's like somebody going. It's it's falls in that category of would you like to hear my new poem? Yeah, and she is absolutely captivating and so multi dimensional. Yeah. And the thing I can't talk about is 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 kind of moving into the success that I think she's coming upon. And oh great, it's somebody who's just doing great work. And I think we can continue to see. More great work. And if you ever hear of her one-person show, it's it's a must-see because you will leave it and you will feel energized and excited and her passion just burns through her work. The uh, one thing I remember from that interview was how she was standing out on the street with uh, the sign. What, what was Buddha it? Buddha loves you. Buddha loves you, yeah, yeah exactly. With where all the uh, uh, heavy-duty Christians were preaching uh fear and hate and discontent more or less and she just stood out there with a sign saying buddha loves you and and kind of capturing the reaction you know that you would get from people walking by yeah. <laughs> it was very cool incredibly brilliant and creative person let's see next up was the interview i did with uh, clay tarver and clay is in a band called chavez he's also uh involved with uh, screenwriting his uh, latest credit, I think, is the HBO show Silicon Valley, where he is a, uh, I forget how he gets credited, as like a guest producer or something like that, it, where he, he's a, a friend of uh, Mike Judge, which was the guy that did uh, Beavis and Butthead. This is the show he's put out. Um, and he met this guy back, he, he met Mike when he was doing Beavis and Butthead. He was, uh, had a role in uh, MTV. Besides that, uh, he's been writing some articles for New York Times, some other publications. Um, he was in a band called Bull La Volta, which is this amazing punk band that's probably like a high-energy Fugazi, you know, like a, with a, some really good lead guitar work going on. Um, uh, I really didn't know anything about him, but um, uh, once I heard that music, I was hooked. It was really cool. The uh, Chavez band is kind of a build as a math rock, which was interesting. Uh, interesting music and this guy had written an article about uh jason everman which was pretty interesting uh, and the takeaway that i have from this is uh when i was talking to him he said that his producer had found he was pitching the idea of doing the story about jason everman and uh his the person at the uh 
New York Times that he was pitching the idea to goes, did you know there's a podcast that already covers a lot of what you're talking about? <laughs> Do you want to talk? He's like, oh! <laughs> but he wrote the story. Anyway, it was he a really him. good story. Yeah, yeah. And I think your battleship moment right there. <laughs> exactly. And so that was pretty interesting. Um, then we had, uh, I had a great interview with Greg Ken. Uh, if you remember his, his songs uh, back in the 80s, this guy's been making music his whole life. Uh, he had a couple of hits, the Jeopardy song, and uh, what's the other song? We lost on Jeopardy, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. And uh, I think of it again. Didn't Satriani play with him early on? Too? I think so. Yeah, yeah he did yeah. for about a year. Um, and they talk about that. Really, really cool. Anyway, this guy, you know, he had his music um, career. Oh, the breakup song. The breakup song. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Uh, great song. And uh, he's still playing in the Great Ken band. He's got a son, Rye, on lead guitar who just rips it up. Uh, and those guys still, they have a Ken Fest every year out in Morgan Hill. Um, he's been writing a lot of books. When I interviewed him, it was for a book called um, uh, Rubber Soul, which is like a historical fiction take on the Beatles. And it was really fascinating. He sent me a copy of it, and uh, I, would, I would check it out. It really talks about how the Beatles got their music that influenced them. And it was basically from Merchant Mariners coming over from places like Baltimore, where he grew up, and taking these early rock and roll records uh, over and handing them out, and these guys from Liverpool were getting this music from America, and of course being inspired to play. It was really pretty cool, and uh, so he follows the band, the Beatles, in their early days um, through their Philippines experience uh, through a character that's a merchant mariner that uh, shares the records with the Beatles. Uh, pretty cool. Um, of course, he had this radio career uh, as well for like ten years. He talks about that. Talks about how you know, with the internet and everything, that the radio personalities really don't have a lot of power anymore, and uh, big media is really kind of controlling that. And uh, if you are established, it doesn't really mean anything. They can pull you at any time. And he was a little bit bitter about that, but he's. Well, isn't he doing a satellite show now, or some kind of? He is doing a podcast, so he's me. You know, I'll have to look into that. He may be doing a satellite show now. Yeah. He was he was doing his own podcast, and that probably is what it became. Then I interviewed a guy, uh, Zen Zenith, another local musician and artist. Uh, I'm going to pick up the pace since these are fairly new episodes and you can go to the website and check them out. Uh, some highlights, though, uh, uh, Carlos Guitarlos, which uh, uh, he's been around. This guy's a character. I went over and interviewed him. I remember him. drinking with him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I told him that. and uh, This guy probably should be dead by all intents and purposes of the way he lived his life he uh one of the worst nights of drinking of my <laughs> life oh man this guy knew how to drink well he's scaled it back since then in the 2000 early mid early 2000s uh he had to change make some lifestyle changes and uh he actually got free medical treatment because his diet his blood sugar was so high the doctors were just baffled that he was still alive yeah and uh, so they were able to treat his diabetes and make a case study. And uh, he's a, and right around uh, that time period when he started to uh, change his lifestyle, he started recording some music and he has put out some fabulous records um, since those days. Of course, he was also in uh, the band uh, Top Jimmy 
and the Rhythm Pigs, uh, which was a huge band in L.A. All the musicians, all the bands would go see these guys rip it up. Uh, amazing blues rock band. And uh, so that was a, a really cool and interview. He he was named in. He was the guy. Top Jimmy was the. Wasn't there a Van Halen song? There's a Van Halen song called Top Jimmy. Yep. And uh, it was that, about them. It's about them. In fact, the Van Halen was trying to buy some songs that they wrote uh, to use, and the, and they were so drunk and out of it, the you know the deal never you know happened. So so Van Halen just said, "Fuck it, we're not gonna waste time trying to deal with these guys." <laughs> they put out one album, but you know where is it now? Nobody I don't think knows. it ever actually got released, so did it? it? It got released on a small record label, but okay. you would, it's not like you can. I don't know of anybody that has I don't a think copy you can of. Find, I, I've tried yeah. to search their music. Yeah, yeah, it's a shame it was called. It's, people I've talked to who have seen them were just like, "Oh yeah, that was yeah. that was the band." I mean, There's some YouTube clips of them playing live and stuff like that, but yeah, unfortunately, Lee Ving used to show up and play harp with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he was uh, he was hanging out with the X people, yeah. you know, uh, back in those days. John Doe actually played on his first solo album, um, and Mike Watt from uh, Minutemen. Of course, he's been in a bunch of bands as well. And uh, Alvin, the guy from uh, the Blasters, Dave Alvin played. Oh, they, there's a really well. Yeah. This is an- whole other show yeah, yeah, yeah. terry gross just did a really good interview with them yeah yeah so that was a great interview oh and then jumping back real quick right before carlos guitarless i did an interview with uh kyle and carl and uh these are two cousins uh, originally from malaysia they're malaysia christians emigrating to the united states they ended up in phoenix arizona and they've been doing kind of a combination of hip-hop and pop music and uh, they have a very interesting story. Well, anyway, Kyle and Carl are no longer doing anything together, but uh, I did manage to touch base with Kyle, and we're going to let him tell us what he is doing these days. Well, welcome, Kyle P., uh, Kyle and Vos to Music Life Radio, and thanks for being a part of our uh, 100th episode. Congratulations on the 100th episode. Congratulations. All right. Thank you guys very much. Well, we're, we're doing some uh, follow-ups with folks, and I know, Kyle, you've got a new project. Uh, tell us about it. Yeah. Um, so basically, uh, the thing with Carl uh, didn't work out uh, for a lot of reasons, actually. And um, luckily enough, uh, I met my DJ slash producer slash everything, basically, um, DJ Voss, uh, who's right here. And um, we basically, you know, had the same love and same passion for music. And we came together and started making, um, not to toot my own horn, but some pretty good music as far as I'm concerned. Very cool. Have you guys uh, had a bunch of shows and stuff? I got to perform alongside a really uh, good friend of mine slash someone who I look up to. His name's Trace. And um, he actually um, hit me up and was just like, hey, you know, I have this show. Do you want to come perform? And I did. And it was an awesome show. And, you know, it was one of the highlights so far just because I saw this kid about a year ago. And I was like, man, you know, I want to be up there with him. And I got the chance to do that. So it was really cool. We're also going to be, uh, uh, we're also already making uh, some connections and working in some promo stuff uh, with a couple of promoters from Interscope Records in California. So that's a big thing for us. Yeah, huge. Oh, yeah, that's a great label. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Thank you. Funny, because that's the first time I heard that, too. Yeah, we just got off the phone with him. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. So how long have you guys been together then? Um, Like a year. 
about okay. a year now. Yeah. It's, it's been a rough relationship, but uh, we're succeeding. Yeah, I like hate this guy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so what uh, what do you got coming up immediately? Oh, man. Immediately, we have um, two remixes that are going to be put out. We have um, a music video that, that's going to be dropping. We have uh, this interview, which is like the highlight of everything. Um, we have uh, some photo shoots coming. We have a lot of stuff going on um, within the next like month or so. It's going to be coming out. So. And also a lot of work for, for our next uh, upcoming album. Yeah, we're January. having an upcoming EP coming out in January time frame and so a lot of promo a lot of media a lot of you know going out there and publicizing very nice and uh what would you say that this music style is what is your uh, um it's definitely it's hip-hop um but we like to uh, just like it was with kyle and carl before we shy away from the cliche stuff and so um like while there might be one or two party songs in there it's nothing where you know all you're gonna hear is talking about money drugs and girls they're gonna be you know other stuff um, and messages behind it and all that. Like money, drugs, and girls. Just kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, very nice. Uh, what else is going on in your life? With Kyle and Carl, I think um, I had a lot of freedom, you know, to um, kind of just do music as uh, not a hobby, but kind of like have more time to do other stuff. But with everything going on now, I've been like, I've been just literally like caged into my room or caged into the studio or caged into Luisa's house just working on music like I my social life is just tanked which is like weird to say <laughs> seeing that I'm 18 but like it's really paying off so like I'm not really complaining but you know I'll get the occasional text like how where have you been blah 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 but you know when I'm making millions of money they'll know yeah yeah <laughs> we actually had a great success with, with our with our last release uh one oh, life yeah one life we, we sold a lot of music on that on, on our last single yeah uh it's on itunes if anybody's listening that wants to go check it out uh you can look up cow p uh, on itunes or one life cow p on itunes and it should show up uh we had like, like he said we had a lot of success with that so uh if you guys are new and haven't heard about me which probably a lot of you haven't go check it out and w what's your main website or facebook page uh, my Facebook page is www.facebook.com slash cowpmusic. Um, the website that I'm most on is Twitter. My Twitter handle is at cowpmusic. Um, I also have a SoundCloud, which is uh, cowpmusic. So um, all of that, you can find me on those three um, uh, websites. Just um, Google Cowpmusic. Yeah, music. just Google cowpmusic. <laughs> but Twitter is what I'm mostly on. I'll post a lot of links for music. Um, I like to tweet. I'm a heavy tweeter lately. Um, and so, uh, Twitter's where you'd want to, uh, check up on in order to, you know, stay connected with me and whatnot. Well, very cool. Uh, any, any last words? Um, just a big shout out to this guy, DJ Voss, you know, uh, without him, I'd probably be back at square one. I mean, I'm not really at like square anything right now, but like I'm, I'm making progress and it's <laughs> thanks to him. You know, there's not very many, it's hard for an 18 year old hip-hop artists to really be taken seriously especially now that like everybody and their moms decided to rap and so you know a lot of people don't take hip-hop artists very seriously but you know luckily enough i met this guy and you know he gave me a chance and you know we're making huge moves right now which is awesome very and cool thank god what dj uh what dj boss where's what is your background exactly well, I've been in the music business for about 12 years. I've been a producer for the EDM scene, uh, producing albums on, uh, uh, you know, at a, a lot of uh, house music, EDM music at a, world, at a worldwide level. Cool. And um, 
I also produce a lot of bands. I I I, I promote a lot of uh, artists, all the from uh, Texas, all the way to Arizona and California, and uh, a couple in Las Vegas. Oh, very cool. Basically, it's just like all over the place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it sounds very busy. All right, so we'll end this with the song. This one called One Life by Kyle P and DJ Voss. All right, guys, thanks a lot for uh, touching base with me. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Yeah. Kyle P, DJ Voss making history. I don't think they're ready for this one. course we finally did a interview with gunpowder we just released this album songs of the resistance and we talked about kind of making of the album that was a lot of fun that was a good time uh, we had uh ralph spite uh guitar ninja eric got to interview amazing uh, guitarist yeah absolutely brilliant i think he was touring with jello biafra and the guantanamo bay school of medicine i think they just got back from europe and uh just a guy who just has, I mean, we were sitting in the studio, he's like, yeah, I've got this, and I've got this, and I've got this, and he's just playing music in all these genres, and incredibly talented guy. Yeah. And then you Lots just... to look forward to. Yeah. Of course, he's also in Victim's Family. Yeah. Uh, then you interviewed Matt Stevens. Yeah. So Matt Stevens is someone I, I guess I met through on Facebook through Simon Godfrey. I think he actually, he friended me yeah. <laughs> on Facebook. Yeah. But um, after, because of that, I started checking out his music. He's in a band called The Fierce and the Dead. You know, and at first I was like, do I want to listen to this? I don't know. And then once I did, I was like, oh, this is great. It's kind of like this, I don't know. I don't even know what to call it. Like some people put it in the prog category, but I, yeah. it's it's instrumental for one thing, which when I first heard it, I was like, oh, this is my kind of music because they were doing something different and like just letting the, the music come out of them. 
So it was great to talk with him. He's a really good guy. He's working um, in a number of different projects. Right now he is, let's see, Fierce and the Dead are, they've got shows coming up. They're working on their next album. Um, I love hearing his music too. And he was, I think he was, he at one point he was kind of doing the solo thing where he was just doing acoustic on his own. And that one, I don't know if that's what really got him more notoriety i think probably what it was was he used social media to kind of expand his fan base and it worked and it and like the last his last album he had one of the guys from um king crimson on it and a a bunch of different great musicians and you know he said because he met like one person in that scene over in uk then he started meeting everybody and you know, next thing you know, it's like, oh, you want so Pat Masoletto to play on your album, and you know, it's just great music. So, next up, we did an interview with uh, CJ of Winter's Tavern. Now, if you look on your iTunes or the podcast list, this is actually well, this one's out of order. It's ninety two, and it's sandwiched between ninety five and ninety six. And the reason was we had done the interview, uh, but CJ wouldn't let me release it. Because he was still in uh, escrow with the bar, and uh, he was referred to as the owner in the episode, and uh, nothing was finalized, so we kept pushing it back and pushing it back and pushing it back. That's why it's a uh, ninety-two, and it's uh, it is, is a very interesting interview from a man that's been in the service industry his whole life and has a love of music and wanted to open up a bar in Pacifica, California, and dedicated to just his love of music, and he has all sorts of acts that come through there. We've been playing there quite a bit. Uh, great episode and uh so now we're up to episode 96 we're almost there guys uh david snowden this is a guy that was a fan club manager for kiss eric and i this first one we actually co-interviewed somebody i don't think we've done this on any Mm -hmm. of the other ones eric being a a kiss fan from back in the day uh, i wanted to bring him on board just for some perspective of of, uh, kiss and uh, this guy's of course done great work with joan jett uh, and it's a super interesting of, guy. I mean, yeah. I think we could have that interview could have gone on for weeks. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he had just these yeah, amazing, just amazing stories. stories. It was like, really? Yeah. Wow, it's just crazy. Uh, so check that one out. Then I did another one. I did one with uh, Chris Wade. Uh, this is a guy that contacted me. Uh, he's kind of like, say, a progressive folk musician. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to that one. His music's pretty interesting. Uh, he he goes by Dodson and Fogg, which is a band name, but it's actually based on uh, two lawyers from Charles Dickens' book. Mm. And uh, he thought the name was interesting. But he's gotten some amazing musicians. He has the violin player from a Bob Dylan record, uh, the flute player from Hawkwind, the, <laughs> the band that Lemmy was in for a while. You know, <laughs> Just some really far out there people. He's also written a bunch of books. Uh, self-produced books. Some of those are in audio format, both nonfiction. He did a book about uh, uh, Black Sabbath where he did a bunch of interviews with uh, people involved with Black Sabbath. Uh, None of the main people, but definitely some of the lesser known players. Uh, Interesting. Uh, Also did one with the Kinks. This guy's got his foot in a billion fires. Really cool. And check his music out. Then uh, Radio Guy just released this one. Uh, this is with a buddy of mine from high school uh, who played in a lot of bands, bass player. He actually inspired me to pick up the bass when I was in college. 
and uh, in the mid '90s, he burned out his chops. He was playing in over 12 bands and projects, and he got carpal tunnel and tennis elbow, and he had to basically give it up. But he went into radio, and he's still in radio. He's an award-winning broadcaster uh, out at a radio station called The Whale in uh, Anacortes, Washington. And then we're going to have episode 99 uh, with uh, Al. Oh, Al Luan. Yeah, clean and sober punks. And this was a fascinating interview with a guy. Uh, he's getting re- ready to. He's working on a movie right now, a documentary movie about uh, clean and sober punks, of all things. That's cool. And then, of course, 100. All right, and congratulations to us uh, for the very longest episode of Music Live Radio ever, uh, probably even um, longer than most of the two parters. But before we wrap it up, let's talk about. The people that we want to interview in the next hundred episodes. Can I just throw in a couple dream lists? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I just, just in case anybody hears this who knows any of these people, is Bob Mold. Bob Mold would be a oh, really, dude. really yeah, great. Really yes. want to interview Bob Mold. Yeah. Guy did Nirvana's never mind. Butch Vig. Butch Vig. Thank you. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> right, because you you did the album with him. I recorded with him. Yeah, and yeah. right before he did Nirvana. Literally, uh-huh. we were the band right before Nevermind. Wow. That he did. Where did you record it at? Uh, Smart Studios in Madison, Wisconsin. And when we actually went to pick up the tapes, he was recording Smashing Pumpkins Gish at the same time. And so that was kind of just, it was, a, it was, a, it was kind of weird to be kind of sandwiched in that, that bunch. But I, I would love to talk to him because he's just some, he's a super nice guy for one. I mean, I think it would just be a really cool person to get on. I don't think he does much in the way of interviews. And somebody local who I would love to get on here, which I just haven't had a chance to reach out to, is Gary Floyd. Oh, yeah, amazing. And Because the first touring punk band I ever saw was the Dicks, and I'll never forget that. But that's my short list. What about you, Josh? Well, as I mentioned before, uh, Jim Godfrey, I've always wanted to like uh, interview Joe Satriani. Yeah. You know, I, I once sold him a um, ticket to a Woody Allen film. Nice. Which is <laughs> when I worked in the movie theater, he came in and oh, like, like I was like, I sold him the ticket, and then I saw him walk over there, and I was like, "That's Joe Satriani." And I told my friend who happened happened to be there, my you know musician yeah. friend Paul Michelson, and he you know, and I was like, "That's Joe Satriani." He's like that little guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, I I've you know got in contact with some folks who are going to be inter- interviewing Susan Doran. Uh, hopefully I'm still saying her name, last name right, but she's working on an audio documentary about uh, the night before Altamont, mm, uh, cool. the infamous concert. Wow. Uh, and she was going to do the interview with me, and then she was like, you know what, maybe we should wait, because I'm getting ready to interview one of the leaders of the Hells Angels back from that time period. Oh. Uh, and I was like, yeah, well, let's just hold off, and you get the interview, and we'll uh, talk about it uh, after. Uh, and she was getting, you know, some other uh, people from that time frame down. And uh, really, I, you know, there are so many people out there to interview. I, you know, I've got, I don't know. Uh, I just gonna kind of ride short this list, wave. Short list. Yeah, I'm just gonna <laughs> ride this wave. I think I'm not even gonna talk about anybody else. And I, I get introduced to people all the time that ask to be interviewed. Uh, and if it's something that seems interesting and they have a good story to tell, hey, I'm going to give people some some time to 
talk about themselves and tell some stories. Uh, I just want to thank you guys for being part of uh, Music Life Radio, and uh, I hope to hear lots of more cool interviews from you guys. And thank you for bringing us on board and, and coming up with the idea and getting the spark going. Yeah. All right. See you guys later. We're going to end this podcast with one more song from uh, Lisa Marie Johnston. This is uh, featuring Matt Black and on guitar. This song is entitled The Long Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Until 101. What am I doing? Cause I'm home